0: Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the draft and Friend Show. Starting a bit late, as usual, but here, once again every week. I am Todd Dandruff-Watellis. A lot of weeks I have a friend with me doing the show. This week, unless one joins me late, I won't have one. It'll just be me, but that's okay. I am prepared to do the show all by myself. And you never know what will happen here. You never know who might join me to be a co-host. You never know who might call in. You never know who I might call. Many things can happen on this show. But let me tell you something that's actually happening tonight. Not so much on this show, but on this site. In about 15 minutes at 7.40 Pacific Time on the No Fraud Online Poker Room there's going to be a free roll. The free roll is for $115. More than double our usual $50 free roll. We've had a lot of generosity in recent weeks. Uh, Last week we had $97 for our free roll. This week $115 Except the difference this week is it's going to be... Limit Hold'em? Yep, Limit Hold'em, my game. My favorite form of poker. That's going to be our free roll this week. I would like to say it's in honor of something, but it's not. It's in dishonor of something. It's in dishonor of the new World Series of Poker schedule that was announced today. I will talk about that later in the show. So in dishonor of the 2014 World Series of Poker, tonight's free roll, $115, will be Limit Hold'em starting at 7 40 on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that at the top of the screen on Poker Fraud Alert. There is no late registration. And furthermore, if you want to have access to winning the money, you have to either have an account on Poker Fraud Alert's forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before or you need special permission from me which you only need one time once you have it from me it's good for the rest of the time that this show goes on you have to email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com all lowercase convince me you've been listening for at least three weeks and convince me of that By telling me some things that have happened on the show That are not listed in the description of the show Either be more specific Or tell me some things that happened that aren't in the description Just make me know you've been here for at least three weeks listening If you haven't been listening for three weeks That's okay In two more weeks you will be eligible If you listen all three weeks And you can email me at that point We have free rolls every single week here when we do the show The money is not for me I'd like to take credit for it I'd love to take credit for this generosity But it's not my generosity It's the generosity of our user base This week, our $115 came from Dirty Ernie, who donated $20 Flipper Fair, who donated $20 And our most common donor, C-Money Very generous guy $75 this week to add up to $115 now how will that $115 be split up first place $60 second place $30 third place $15 fourth place $10 so no $5 prizes this week if you want to speak to me there's various ways to do it during the show you can call in we have two different phone numbers 775 fraud 55 775-372-8355 Now last week we had some problems with that phone number. I hope we will not have those problems this week. If we do, you can call me on the Mount Charleston line. So if it just seems like I'm not answering, it's either because I'm ignoring the call because I'm in the middle of talking about something. But if you just can't seem to get through, then try the Mount Charleston line or just try the Mount Charleston line in the first place. Because that number is gold. That number has no problems whatsoever. At least right now. The Mount Charleston line, which is an old 70s telephone, an old rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston. They didn't get much snow this year so far. But the phone is there. It survived fires and a lot of of catastrophes up there, but it's still working. 702-430-1808 702-430-1808 That's the Mount Charleston line. You can also speak to me in the chat room. I know the chat room is kind of a piece of crap. And it'll sometimes kick you out. It'll sometimes warn you for spamming when you're really not spamming. I didn't write the chat room. It's a third-party piece of software. Maybe I'll get a new one one day. But for the most part, it works. You need an account on the forum to go into the chat room. You press the big chat button near the top of the screen. I will try to read the chat room as much as I can, but it's hard for me to read everything in the chat room when I'm doing the show myself. You can also text me. That's why we had some problems with the main line, because the main line also serves as our text phone number. And if we continue having these problems with the main line, because it's sharing the texts, then I will get a new text line. But I want to have it all in one number as much as we can. The text phone number... And by the way, you can text me any on that number, not just during the show. 775-372-8355. Yes, the same number as our main phone number. 775-372-8355. You can text me. We already received a text about four minutes before the show was supposed to start. Not four minutes before it actually started, but four minutes before it was supposed to start. And that is a very short and concise text from someone in the 209 area code in California text simply says fuck Mason Malmuth and we'll get to why that person's saying that shortly so those are the ways you can get a hold of me during the show if I don't answer the phone try the Mount Charleston line if I don't answer that it means I'm probably in the middle of talking if I'm in the middle of like a long rant about something I'm not going to answer the phone because I, I want to finish my thoughts but you can try and I'll try to pause occasionally to give you a chance to call in. This is from One Step, who just texted me. Hello, Druff, it's One Step, can I call in? I mean, I guess guess you can, but uh, let's wait till later in the show. I've had some complaints from the people who listen to the show, mainly for the poker content that they hate when there's uh, a lot of junk at the beginning. I had people who were angry... Last week, that I spent half an hour talking about my ribs being broken, which they still are broken. My ribs will probably remain broken until about a month from now, as my guess. But uh, I can't please everyone here. People listen to this show for different reasons. I even was contacted by an individual, not a forum poster on Poker Fraud Alert, but somebody else, who told me that he hates me. But he listens to every show There's actually a guy who listens to every show here But he hates me And he wasn't kidding, he really hates me But he listens to every show I don't get it, but, but he does So all kinds of reasons People listen to this show But I try to Accommodate the majority And I try to make as many people Happy with this show as possible Because that's the point If I just wanted to talk to myself then I wouldn't need this show. So, uh, I'm going to start the topics pretty soon. And then we'll get to the one-step stuff and everything else uh, later in the show. And uh, I might even try to make a, a phone call that has nothing to do with poker later in the show. I just found something on the web I thought would make a funny phone call, but I'll save that for later. Let me run down the agenda tonight. By the way, if you want to get into the free roll, it's only seven minutes away. So, get over there. No late registration. The top story this week. Controversy at the Palms in Las Vegas. In the Palms Poker Room. They had a very generous promotion. It's over now, so don't go running down there. But they had a very generous promotion where they would only rake one dollar... And they would drop $4 into the promotional pool. So the overall rake was $5, but 4 of that $5 would return back to the players, which is very generous. At best, when there's a $5 rake, one of those dollars goes towards a jackpot or some kind of other promotion, or it goes to it and then the house still takes like 25% as a surcharge or whatever. But here, four out of five rake dollars was going right back to the players. Very generous promotion. It was going on for about a month. So how could this be a bad thing? How could there be any controversy about this? Well, there was. There's a lot of controversy. And not only did it lead to the firing of the poker room manager, but when I got involved in reporting this, it led to me being banned from 2 plus 2. That's right. You know, I know that uh, one of the hosts from the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast, Adam Schwartz, listens to this show. He doesn't listen live because it interferes with his own show. But he does listen to this show. In fact, he told me he was happy one week when I did the show on Wednesday and he could listen live. Of course, that wasn't my best week. I was very sick that week. But still, I'm happy to have Adam Schwartz listening. And he's always liked this show, and he liked my previous show. Uh, So it's funny, a lot of people on 2 Plus 2 who are in uh, influential positions there, I like and I get along with. And a lot of them like me. A lot of the mods, Adam Schwartz of the 2 Plus 2 Poker cast, even that uh, professional poker blue mod guy, even he and I get along. But unfortunately, the one person on 2 Plus 2 with power who does not like me is the owner, Mason Malmuth. He's never liked me. So I got banned there in relation to the whole thing that happened with the Palms Poker Room. But to be honest, I think there is more to it than that. That was just the excuse. But we'll talk about that. Other items on the agenda tonight. The full World Series of Poker schedule has been announced. I mentioned last week that they accidentally leaked the big buy-in Events And it was an accidental leak, it wasn't something to generate buzz Though that kind of worked too, but it really was an accident on their part Leaking part of the schedule So a lot of that was discussed, and we talked about it last week on the show But now we have the full schedule Events 1 through 65, there's 65 events this year And I have to tell you, I am not very happy with that schedule Limit Hold'em has again been given the shaft by the World Series of Poker And while I know that Limit Hold'em is not the most popular tournament format, I feel they are overdoing it with scaling down the Limit Hold'em. So we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about some other things I found on the schedule of interest, and some other changes they're making this year at the World Series of Poker. Well, there is a new poker network, a U.S.-facing network that we've talked about before here, called the Equity Poker Network. I I thought it had fail written all over it, but... uh, one of the skins on that network is already having a problem According to a Poker Fraud Alert user The skin is called Full Flush Poker <laughs> And they're supposedly Already doing a bunch of unethical and shady things over there So these items have not been verified by me And I'll give you the background on the person who gave me the information So you can choose what to believe But that's, uh, that's what I'm hearing That uh, full flesh poker is already not off to a good start. Well, you know, one day, when my son is a lot older, my son Benjamin's three years old. But one day he's going to be a lot older. He'll be an adult, he'll be a teenager, and he will be able to Google his father's name and see information about me. In fact, one day, you know, if he has kids, I'll have grandkids, maybe I'll have great-grandkids, and I'll be dead, and they'll want to find out about their grandfather or great-grandfather. You know, this is an interesting concept, because you know, I can't Google anything about my great-grandfather. There was no internet back then when he was alive. But uh, nowadays, you leave a footprint, a digital footprint, that can be followed for not just years, but maybe even hundreds or thousands of years you'll have kids thousands of years in the future reading things we wrote today so I always wonder you know, the stuff I leave behind if, if it's a good idea there's already a lot of bad things written about me on the web because of some controversies I've caused over the years or been part of but anyway um, I also have appeared in some various forms of media I've been on 60 Minutes I have been on CNBC I've played poker on TV a few times But now for the first time in my life I have appeared I shouldn't say in a feature film but on an extra that comes on a DVD for a feature film where if you buy that DVD for that feature film it has that extra where you can see me. That's for the poorly reviewed film Runner Runner which is about poker kind of and I'm on the Blu-ray Extra not even the DVD Extra if you get the DVD version you can't see me but the Blu-ray Extra you can see me I'll talk about that Blu-ray Extra I got to watch it and in short I wasn't very happy with it I was in it but I wasn't very happy with it I don't think I look bad in it but I just didn't like what they did with it so I'll talk about that well there's a guy named uh, Don Johnson You may have heard that name before Don Johnson He's been in the news recently And uh, I'll tell you where you may have heard of him before This uh, Don Johnson If you recognize the name Here at Yep Don Johnson of Miami Vice Of all things Is in the news now having to do with gambling. So what did Detective Crockett do to warrant a message on this show? A mention on this show? That's a good question. Well, I'll tell you the truth. He did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. Because Don Johnson Johnson is going to be talked about tonight. But not that Don Johnson. Different Don Johnson A completely different Don Johnson Is a blackjack player A very, very, very high limit blackjack player And He recently appeared on a video Discussing how he crushed the casino Not just one casino, but many casinos For, I think it was like 17 million dollars playing blackjack. But Don Johnson was not the head of a card-counting ring or a team. He wasn't using some amazing, unheralded, uh, secret strategy to beat blackjack that would be on par with card-counting. No. Don Johnson claims, without card-counting, without cheating, that he won $17 million because he gave himself an edge in other ways And didn't just get lucky. (laughs) So he didn't card count, he didn't cheat, but he somehow gave himself an edge in blackjack, playing normally, to win millions of dollars. And he's talking about it every year, and he's he's doing seminars, apparently, and now he even uh, did like a 46-minute video on what he did to beat the casinos in blackjack. So how can someone like that Kill the casinos for so much money in blackjack these days when the casinos have taken so many countermeasures to stop advantage players. If I can't go in there and win a few thousand without getting kicked out, how did this guy win 17 million? We will talk about that. Well, speaking of big money, the Aussie Millions is going on, it's a yearly event in Australia. And there were two big events there a 100K event and a 250K event. These are the buy ins. These are not the guarantees. These are actually the buy ins, 100,000 and 250,000. Now, these are Australian dollars, but it's still fairly close to a U.S. dollar. I don't have the exact exchange rate right now. In fact, I'm going to get it right now. I'm going to produce the show during the show as we do every week here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Uh. Where do I find this? Let's see. Australian dollar value. Yeah, 0.9 US dollars. So it's 90 cents. So it's close to a dollar. So we're talking about like 90K US dollars and, I don't know, like uh, 225K US dollars if you convert these. Would you believe that certain people bought in multiple times to these events? I mean, it's one thing to buy in for 100 k or 250 k but can you imagine buying in multiple times to these events? And the one who is most guilty of this, or you want to call it guilty, was Daniel Nigranu, who famously bought in 48 times to a World Series event one time. So we'll listen to an interview with Negreanu about this, and I'll give my opinion as to what's going on. Another person who's very familiar with playing for large sums of money, Tom Dwan, who used to be part of our community here on Neverwin Poker when we were on that site. Tom Dwan started there when he was a nobody. But Tom Dwan is having an issue with full tilt. and We're talking about the current full tilt, not the one that cheated everyone. He's not feeling comfortable playing on full tilt, he says. So we will listen to what he had to say about that and I'll give you my opinion as to what I think is going on with him. Borgata cheater Christian Lusardi. Remember the guy who flushed $2.7 million in fake tournament chips down the Harris toilet and then was caught? And that is after he snuck in like 800000 worth of uh, phony tournament chips to give himself the chip lead on day one. But he's also been charged with something else. Unrelated to poker I'll tell you about that A lot of you hate Sheldon Adelson The CEO of the Las Vegas Sands Corporation They're the ones who own the Venetian and Palazzo He's been very anti-online poker and online gaming Says he'll spend whatever it takes to defeat Legalization of online gambling A lot of poker players hate him Well, you may be happy to hear That his website The Las Vegas SAM's website, SAM's website, has been attacked today. Pretty nasty attack. And the homepage was replaced by something the hackers wanted everyone to see. But before you cheer too loudly, what was done was pretty nasty and really hurt innocent people rather than Sheldon Adelism himself. Talk about what happened there. I'm sure when you've walked through Vegas casinos or Atlantic City casinos or whatever casinos you go to, you've seen those slot machines with a jackpot on top, a progressive jackpot that keeps going up as people play the machine and the jackpot does not hit. I'm sure you've given a thought before as to how long it's been since that jackpot was hit. So you see a jackpot of $2 million and something and you think, okay, well, what did it start at and how long has it been since that actually paid out? Well, there's actually a jackpot at the MGM that has taken more than 20 years to hit and still has not hit yet. We'll talk about that. And I'll give you my opinion as to what I think is going on with that machine. Finally, we will talk about Bitcoin, as we always do at the end of the show. I currently own 0.1 of a Bitcoin, worth around... I don't know, 60-something dollars now. Bitcoin has lost some value since our last program. Had a little bit of a crash. Seems to have stabilized again. Right now, as I'm speaking, the weighted average of Bitcoin, if you ignore Mount Gox, which is having its own problems, is $673 for one Bitcoin. So, Mount Gox, which has been not allowing withdrawals, that's what caused their prices to fall, they have blamed their lack of withdrawals on a flaw in Bitcoin itself. I'll talk about that and tell you if I believe their excuse. So that's the agenda for tonight. In the chat room, someone actually said that they bought a pink shirt thanks to Don Johnson. So... Um, One other thing being said Before it scrolls off I wanted to wait till we get to the topic But this is a comment in the chat room from JSTAT Who I know will be interested in the Don Johnson subject Because he's a blackjack card counter himself He said Don Johnson gained his edge by taking shots at blackjack dealers For instance, he might signal surrender with 16 versus 10 and still be given a card by a distracted dealer. If he doesn't bust, he played the dummy. If he busted, he would complain and get a free play. A scoundrel in my book. I don't know about that particular story, but I believe it based upon things he even said in his own video. But uh, we'll talk more about that later in the show. Yeah, Don Johnson from Miami Vice He was really influential on fashion in the mid-80s Miami Vice itself was very influential on the mid-80s Especially in the fashion element of it It was actually a very good show Towards the end it, it went downhill It was only on five years It was one of these shows that really only had a few good years in it Before it started to degrade But it really was a groundbreaking show and if you go back and watch it now, it's now been 30 years almost since the pilot episode in 1984. It really is very, very 80s. It really is the quintessential 80s show. And despite being very 80s, it actually holds up pretty well. The The fashions don't hold up well, but the the quality of the show and the storylines, all that, it holds up pretty well to where you can watch it and not think, oh, this is really cheesy, oh, this would never work today. It Miami Vice actually could work today Of course with different fashion If it hadn't been done yet If it was a new show today Where a lot of successful shows in the past Even ones you might like Would be failures today Just because times have changed Anyway uh, Let's get started here Free Roll is already going on Ten minutes ago I want to talk about the controversy at the Palms this has really become a big mess in all ways, shapes, and forms. Uh, I've been getting involved in a lot of controversies that have taken place in poker, especially ones that make it to the forums. But in this case, I brought it to the forums myself, where something's happening and I feel like I want to say something about it. And sometimes I'm sorry I got involved. And in this one, I can't really say I'm sorry I got involved, but I do have to say that it's it's become a big mess. Let me give you the background here. Give you the background as to what happened and to what I did. we got to go back uh, to January 5th, 2014. Maybe even before that, but somewhere right around January 5th. It's about a month ago, a month and a week ago. The Palms started a promotion in their poker room to try to get things going there because it was kind of a dead room. It had a fairly new manager there. Uh, what happened was Cantor Gaming took over the Palms poker room. They had some kind of lease with the Palms going on. They took over the poker room And I guess uh, they put their own people in there So I think the Palms people got fired And Cantor put their own people in Something like that I I don't know the full background to that But uh, something like that Anyway, they had a new manager there And uh, I I might as well name this guy Because he named himself on my site I I didn't name him at first But he named himself So I I might as well name him now Since he's voluntarily named himself on the site His name is Todd Boosler. Which kind of confuses people Because my name's Todd also But his name's Todd Bouchler And he had previously been A poker room manager of the M Which I I don't think that poker room's open anymore But Todd Bouchler Was the new manager I think he was only there for Since October or November Something like that And uh, anyway Todd was noticing that the room was fairly dead, which isn't surprising. It's not even necessarily his fault that the room was dead because there are just too many poker rooms in Las Vegas for how many people want to play poker. Now, you would think that every casino should be able to run a successful poker room because, after all, they have a lot of people in every major casino who are staying there. And don't people enjoy playing poker? Like, why wouldn't a poker room succeed in every casino? How come they can have successful blackjack pits and craps pits and slot machines? How come they can have success there, but not poker rooms, which don't even need that many people to be considered a moderate success? Well, the problem is most people don't go to Las Vegas to play poker. Most people who are in Vegas... Who want to gamble A lot of people in Vegas don't even want to gamble They want to be there for the entertainment or the food or whatever Uh, But The people who do want to gamble they, They like playing blackjack They like playing craps or slots or video poker Poker just isn't something That's really big In Las Vegas Compared to the number of gamblers that are there Poker seems to do better In areas where There isn't much other gambling For example, the Commerce Casino in the LA area. That's huge. That's the biggest live poker room in the world, by far. Why? Because there's a lot of people in LA who like to play poker, who like to gamble, and there are no casinos, zero casinos, that are very close to LA, that you can get to without a whole lot of driving. The closest ones are like Temecula and uh, northern San Diego County, and it takes a little while to drive down there, especially in traffic, so The poker rooms in LA do well Because that's the way you can gamble in LA But in a place like Vegas Where you can do everything Even sports bet Poker just doesn't work that well So a few rooms thrive Bellagio, Aria uh, To a lesser degree The Wynn and the Venetian Uh, But they really, There are really way too many poker rooms for what's needed. And a lot of these casinos are starting to realize it. And even if it's cheap to run them, even if they place the poker rooms far off somewhere where it's not taking up casino space, kind of like at Treasure Island, they have a poker room just kind of way off on the side that uh, otherwise nothing would be there. But even there, they've, they're starting to determine that it's just not worth it to run these. So anyway, Cantor was uh, they had some kind of lease with the Palms to run their poker room. And this Todd Boosler guy came up with an idea on his own to try to excite poker players in Vegas, mainly locals, not so much people who are tourists, but mainly locals who are choosing a place to play, to have them choose the Palms. And that was to take just $1 of rake, which is really, really cheap, and then take $4 for promos. And what I mean by promos is where the $4 will return back to the players. You don't give it back to the person who won the pot, but you put it in a pool, and you give away money from that pool for different promotions, like high-hand promotions or whatever. So they had a whole lot of different promotions running. Like, if you get aces cracked, if you have uh, uh, the high-hand of the half-hour, whatever, I don't know what all of them were, it doesn't really matter. They just had a lot of promotions running, way, way, way more than any poker room has ever had. To where you just sit there and play, and you're going to win a lot of money through these promotions over time. Because there's just so many of them. And the reason they had so many of them is they're taking $4 out of each pot, going to the promos, and only taking $1 for the house. Now, to show you how good this is for the player, most rooms will rake 4 or $5 from the pot and put $1 toward the promotions. So it's a reverse. So how could this have possibly led to any kind of controversy? Maybe it's not the greatest business idea for the Palms, but how could this be bad for the players? How could there ever be some kind of controversy where people get mad? You wouldn't think there could be, but there was. First of all, there appears to have been poor communication regarding what was going on with this and uh, why it was being done and what the rules were associated with this. Uh, the dealers were, like, kind of scratching their heads about this. Now, now the manager posted on Poker Fraud Alert. He's made several posts on Poker Fraud Alert, and one of the posts he mentioned the dealers were, were, were told about this, but I actually was told the story, which I'm about to get into, from a dealer who doesn't want to identify himself because he doesn't want to uh, suffer consequences in getting other jobs. And I'm never going to give this guy up. But I had somebody who I knew peripherally from living in Vegas. He wasn't a close friend of mine. He was someone I knew over the years, always got along with. We weren't close friends. Someone I talked to every so often. And he brought this story to me. He was the dealer at the Palms. He was disgruntled. But he's always been an honest guy. He's never been someone who who makes things up. So even though I knew he was pissed... I I believed him, and it turned out a few details were wrong, or possibly wrong, but uh, he got a lot of it right. So, anyway, what I'm telling you now came from a dealer there, and then I'll get into what came out after that. So the dealer claimed that, uh, first of all, the dealers weren't really told about this, and then uh, they were concerned, like, what's going on with this? And uh, the manager allegedly told them he wanted to create a big fund to establish new business in the room. And it was just temporary. as a way to get people in. So the dealers accepted this. And uh, the players, of course, were, were happy to hear about it. The problem was, there just wasn't that much buzz about it. There was a thread on 2 Plus 2 on January 5th about it, but people on 2 Plus 2 were even... Skeptical of it saying Hey, I I don't even believe you're right I think you you must have gotten it reversed You must really mean $4 rake and $1 promo It couldn't be the other way around There's no way the Palms would do that But it turned out, no, that was correct But there just wasn't enough buzz To get people down there There should have been, but there wasn't So The promotion just was not Getting the new business for the Palms That it was supposed to, and this is not in doubt anymore because the manager confirmed this when he showed up to uh, poker Frottler to post about it. But here's where the real controversy is, because up to this point, all it's doing is being generous to the players, and the palms is is suffering for it. But you know who cares? That's not our business. The dealers, some of them, shall I say, according to this guy were very unhappy when they saw that the manager himself, this Todd Buchler character, played in the games himself. He sat down in the games. What further bothered people like this dealer who came to me was that the manager would then reimburse himself when he lost in the games from the promotional pool. And that's what got me to come out with this story. That's what got me. When I heard this, I said, I've I've got to come out with this, that the manager is taking funds that are supposed to go to the players, and when he loses in the game, he says, okay, well, I'll just take back what I lost out of the promotional pool. Now, there's a guy in the chat room who calls himself Calling BS, who says, I'm a dealer at the Palms, I can verify And no, it's not the same guy that uh, came to me. uh, This calling BS person, I don't know who it is, but it's not the person who came to me. Anyway, this is what outraged me so much when I heard this. I was like, what? I mean, sure, they're being generous with their promo money, but they shouldn't be, the manager shouldn't be playing himself and then reimbursing his own losses from that promo money. If he wants to play in the games, fine, but uh, if you lose, you lose. And it was reported to me by the same guy that the manager lost most of the time. Once in a while he won, but for the most part he lost. He was said to have lost between $100 and $300 typically when he was playing. The dealer alleged that the manager, when he won, would keep the profits, something that the manager has since denied. And I think, I think I believe the manager on that part. At the time when I made the post, I didn't know that. I still don't know it for sure, but at the time when I made the post, I, I thought he really was keeping the profits and really was stealing. Uh, since then, I've come to believe that he's not, he wasn't stealing, that this manager, he wasn't doing this to steal from the promo pool, and uh, basically he didn't enrich himself at all from this whole situation. So that's a good news. I, I don't have proof of that, but that's my gut feeling from everything that's come out since. So I want to get that out here, that I'm not accusing Todd Bouchler of stealing. I don't believe he stole, now that I've uh, gotten all the evidence here. Not all the evidence, but the evidence that has come forward, the testimonials from both sides. I, I don't believe this was a scheme to steal from the Palms, nor do I believe you know, he stole from them, even inadvertently. Uh, but he did verify that he was reimbursing himself out of the promo pool, and I'll explain shortly. So that definitely happened. Now, there had to be, I don't know the exact process here, I've never worked in a poker room, but there's some kind of process where they have to keep track of where all the money goes. I'm sure you've seen this before when you've played live, and they drop the rake, or they drop the, the hourly collection, and then someone comes by and notes how much has been dropped. They're trying to keep track of it so they have a better handle On what money they can expect to receive And what they really do receive And make sure no one's stealing That's common in all poker rooms So um, I I guess they had to maintain a log Of the rake taken in at all games So when he reimbursed himself For the losses in these games Which by the way definitely did happen Even he verified this on, on Poker Fraud Alert The way he wrote this in the logs Was game protection Now I've never heard that term before But anything he reimbursed himself, he noted as game protection as to where the money went. Now, Palm's auditing caught on to this somehow. I don't know how they did, but they noticed this game protection thing and said, what the hell is this? Called him up and said, hey, what is this game protection thing that you're taking money out for? So he told them the truth. He said, well, the game protection is me reimbursing myself when I sit in the games and lose. So the dealer tells me that's why he was fired, that he was fired on the spot because he's not supposed to be doing that. I don't know if that's why he was fired or not. He won't say why he was fired, which is fine. He doesn't have to tell us. But uh, he is no longer the manager there. He was definitely fired. There could be one of several reasons he was fired. It could have been because uh, the Palms ended up losing money from this whole thing, as I'll explain shortly could be because of the game protection thing. Uh, It could be for one of many reasons. It could just be for failing to get the room, the traffic they were hoping it would get. It could be for a lot of things. But he is fired. He is gone. Now, after they fired him, I think about a week passed, and then as of February 5th, they announced at the Palms that all promotions have been canceled due to lack of funds. So all the all that money they were collecting, that $4 per hand, going into the promotional pool, they pulled the plug on it and said, nope, no more promotions, we're, we're out of money. So this bothered me too. I thought that they had money left over and that they were just pulling the plug and Palms was keeping the money that was supposed to go back to the player pools. That pissed me off too. That's also why I posted this. Well, since I posted that original message, I found out more. The good news is, from all appearances, that uh, the players overall did not get cheated. That they actually lost money. The palms, the palms actually paid out a lot more in promotions than they actually took in. Even taking four dollars a hand, they still paid out far more. How much more? Well, nobody knows for sure. But Todd Bouchler himself, the manager, posted on Poker Fraud Alert. That during this month or so of the promotion Palms paid out $22,000 Extra? $22,000 in a small poker room Was paid on top of the $4 per hand Money that ended up in the pool So Palms lost an extra 22000 bucks Over this whole thing So the players pretty much got $22,000 More than they should have Because the promotions Were paying out more than the promotional rake was taking in so that was the situation originally the thread was entitled something, I don't remember the exact title because I changed it, but uh, the thread was entitled something about uh, that the Palms manager was accused of uh, stealing from the promotional pool I changed that when... After the poker manager showed up... Denied stealing and said that... Uh, you know, In fact, it ran way over... And in fact, whenever he won... The few times he won, he, he returned the money... and so he, he didn't say exactly where it went... But he went, went to the cage and... Returned it to the what he called the reserve pool... Whatever that is... But that he never walked away with a penny... From anything in these games... And the reason he reimbursed himself... Was that he was intentionally playing poorly and intentionally losing money into the games to keep him going. This way, games would keep running because he was the fish in the game. And he was saying not that he's a bad player, but that he was being an intentionally bad player, just doing intentionally stupid things to lose his money, and he'd have to run really, really well to show a profit the way he was playing. And again, he did this to keep the tables running. Now, I believe that, because there's been a number of accounts from people that that's pretty much what was happening. That uh, he was losing most of the time, and intentionally losing. Uh, now, some people like there's a guy in uh, in the chat that's calling BS. Person says he also let dealers and a female cashier play on player money that was very new to poker. Now, I don't know if that's true. I've heard these accusations. But uh, if he was letting other people play who were not good at poker I I guess it accomplishes the same thing It kind of dumps money out of the promotional pool Into the game and kind of artificially creates a good game It's like putting in uh, a player Who's trying to be a fish so the game stays And those players are funded by the promo pool which isn't a good idea. If the house wants to do that, it's fine. If the house wants to do it with their money, great. You know, Then they're just pumping up money into the poker community. That's great. It's their money. They can do what they want with it. But uh, the promo pool wasn't supposed to be about that. The promo pool was supposed to be a pro- about promotions, not about staking fish in the game or intentional fish to keep the games going. Now, you can argue that the players got the money anyway. But... Uh, then you have to wonder, you know, were they playing worse against certain people and not others? And we'll never know the answer to these things. What I mean by that is, uh, if someone's intentionally playing poorly, are they going to play the same way against a friend of theirs in the game, as they would against someone they dislike? Or against someone they don't know? Now, I'm not saying that he did this. I'm not saying that whoever else played on the promotional money did this. I'm saying that there's always the potential for this. So, if anybody wants to call in, by the way, I know we have a few people in the chat who don't normally listen to this show but are interested in this issue, people who worked at the Palms. If any of you want to call in, you can. Uh, of course, your voice will be exposed on the radio, and they may figure out who you are. But you're welcome to call in. 775 fraud 55 775-372-8355. I'm going to make sure that number works. Or if, if you just want to call a 702 number that I know works, that's uh, 702-430-1808. 702 430 1808, and uh, yeah, I should have checked this number worked, but uh, the 702 number definitely works. So, just uh, actually trying the main number myself right now to see if it works. Hmm, well, it looks like the main number is not working. Try something. Last time on this show, the main number didn't work until the very end of the show, and then it worked. So, I don't know. Um, it's a problem. I have a conflict in trying to receive calls and texts on the same phone number. It should work, in theory. It's supposed to work, but it's not working. So, call the Charleston line, 702-430-1808, if you want to reach me. That will work. I'll test it right now, just to make sure. If you want to call in about this issue, you're welcome to. And I'll take your call. Caller, you're on the air. How you doing, Dan? Hi. Yeah, I have a question for you. Yes. Yeah, so who's calling, please?
1: Uh, you can call me Cyberpon.
0: Okay. Go ahead.
1: Uh, you, you, I, I mean, you're on the, the 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 this manager guy. But the side rail, real quick. You talked about Bitcoin, uh, and the Mt. Gox thing, um, and I haven't really delved too far into it. I did see an article that's posted on Slashdot today. And I read the summary and if any of you guys was uh, read re- flash you know that, that you should know that summaries aren't always all that accurate, but the uh, just I got from the summary was that there was an internal uh, an internal error within Mountain Docs, uh, within the ways that they were processing uh, their payouts and uh, it was being exploited so it was being uh, people were getting double payouts within uh internal coding within Mt. Gox, not something to do with the Bitcoin protocol itself. It's the same bug that used to be in the protocol, but that was patched like two years ago or something like
0: that. So you're saying Mt. Gox so is the not telling the truth. What's that? You're saying Mt. Gox is not telling the truth with their reasoning?
1: Um, I haven't read any information directly from Mt. Gox. I've never used them myself personally, but I do have Bitcoin um, and I use Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I, you know, it's obviously it's affecting everything because it's Mt. Gox. But uh, at this point, Mt. Gox isn't what it used to be. Yet. It isn't this monolithic thing that it used to be. Really yeah, good. yeah, I know it's lost influence,
0: especially with the Chinese uh, influx into Bitcoin. But you know, what, we're going to talk about Bitcoin later. I don't know if you're going to be up for how okay. long. I know, I know you're not in uh, the West Coast from your area code. But uh, if you're up later, you can call in. Otherwise, I'll, I'll take it under advisement what you said and. Uh, Otherwise, I guess you can catch it in the archives. Will, will you be up in a few hours when I get to the Gox thing?
1: Uh, I, I maybe, um, but yeah, if, if not, you know, like I said, this was something I saw on Slashdot today. So Okay. It, you know, it's kind of like your reference.
0: Okay, thank you. All right, thanks. So, uh, while this guy was uh, calling in, I fixed the main phone number. I found out what was wrong. So, you can call the main phone number now, too, to reach me at... Uh, 775 55 and you can text me there too. I've got everything working. Figured out the problem. So, um, we'll get to the Mt. Gox stuff later. But back to the Palms thing. So, I'm going to read to you what the manager wrote on Poker Fraud Alert. And then... uh, I'm not going to read you all his posts. You can read all of those on the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum on Poker Fraud Alert. But here is his first post about the matter. Hello, Dan. He still thinks my name is Dan. By the way, one step one step's just like hammering the phone here. I'll get to you after this topic one, one step. After we're done with this topic, you can call in and I'll take your call. I promise you. Hello, Dan. Let me do my best to answer your questions. First off, your article is full of errors. I don't really believe this secret source of yours is from any of my former staff. If it was, they could have just given you my phone number or email and you could have called to confirm. Everyone who knows me absolutely knows I'm the easiest person in the world to talk to. It reads just like you're trying to do TMZ reporting and put out some type of vague facts and let people assume whatever they want. If your goal is to run a reputable information source, you should do some follow-up. Now, I... The person who talked to me didn't give me this guy's phone number, and, uh, I didn't ask if he had it, but the person said, this is reliable information, you know, post it. So I did. I didn't have to, but I did. Kind of made a split-second decision to post it. Uh, but I was not doing this in any way to try to hurt Todd Buchler, the manager, the former manager of the Palms Poker Room. I don't even know him, so I have nothing against him. I'm not, I'm not doing this as a slam piece or to try to bring traffic to Poker Fraudler. I, I mean it's great if I get traffic here But that's, not, that's never been the point of this site The point of this site is to get out the truth About scams and scandals in poker And if I get something wrong Then it's unfortunate And then I, I definitely wanted to correct it Which I've done But uh, believe me I'm not trying to Rake anyone over the coals Just to get uh, popularity on my site Going on, he wrote, We were running a one dollar four dollar rake promo all the way up to just the other day, the idea being that we could reintroduce reintroduce the room to a bunch of players by creating excitement and giving away tons of money. The room had gotten so slow that there's usually only one or two games going. We figured if we could get up to six or seven games, we would be ranking the same as raking the same as two games, yet open up the room to a whole new guest base. I had numerous meetings with the staff to get their opinions on any and all promotions. Now this dealer I spoke to denied that by the way. He said they didn't have these meetings. At least he wasn't part of them. I've always included the dealers in all discussions about the rooms I've ran. I've never kept any in the dark. The best way to create a team atmosphere and get ownership from the team members is to involve them in the decision-making process. By the way, I invited this guy to come on the show. He just ignored me. So when you say the staff is mystified about the new offering, that is completely false. Not only were they well-informed about the reasoning behind it, they were excited to see we were doing a massively aggressive promo to recapture the business. You alluded to the idea that the poker community was excited about the great deal, returning 80% back to the players, but unfortunately that isn't true either. Like you thought, I also thought it would be crazy exciting and our room would get packed. That did not happen. We were trying to be hyper-aggressive and beat the competitors at the promotions game. Orleans, Mirage, and Monte Carlo all had a lot going on, and we were trying to make it so you couldn't afford not to play at the Palms. It just didn't work. Even with all the giveaways, we barely got a 1-2 no-limit game going, and never got a 4-10 limit game going. The only good thing was switching to a 2-4 and 2-6 spread limit. That game had tremendously more action, and was a lot more fun for the players and dealers. The idea that I would steal any money from the players is completely ridiculous. I have been in this industry and in this town for 15 years, and to my knowledge, my integrity has never been questioned. By the way, uh, later in the thread, a lot of people came out and did question this. A lot of people don't like this guy. A lot of people do, a lot of people don't. They're, this is definitely not someone who everyone loves. Now, in his defense, I'm not someone everyone loves. There's a lot of people who hate me. But I'm, I'm just telling you that, this, that that's not really a true statement. Just like I can't say everyone loves me, he can't say everyone loves him. Because there's been a number of people in the thread who are legitimate people who you know, had bad things to say about him. But he did have some defenders, too. I am shocked and mortified that that would even be whispered around. This is my career, and I have every intention of having another room soon. So he's that that was really his only direct admission to not being there anymore, that uh, he has every intention of having another room soon, meaning another job managing a room. It is very unsettling that you would send out these implications without even asking me. How are you trying to make the industry better? By trying to ruin the reputation of a room manager That is not only respected by his peers But well liked by his team And generally liked by all my players Which is hard to do I was always on the floor Getting the players' opinions Fighting for as much giveaways as possible And trying to make the staff as much money as possible I did not accept tips And even when dealing gave the money to the cashier up front What he meant by that is that When he he got any any tips as a dealer When he was a dealer That he would just re-tip the cashier With whatever he received Terribly insulting and completely inaccurate on your part. Game protection was just a way to account for the money. So here's he's admitting that he wrote game protection for, you know, taking the money out and playing with it. We had six different promos going on at the same time, and we had to enter a line item for each one. It could have been called anything. Aa cracked. This ace is cracked. Set over set, high hand of the half hour, monkey spins, home team cash giveaway, splash pots, natural high hands are all examples of the line items we use. So those, those are the, some of the promotions they were running that whenever they gave money out of the promo pool, he'd uh, he'd write down what it was. So someone gets their aces cracked, he gives them you know $25 and writes aces cracked $25 to this person. So he's saying when he took the money out, he, he just wrote game protection, that was the way he accounted for it. I, I believe that. Casinos have a very strong oversight on all accounting transactions and all money must be accounted for, which is true. You said that when we lost, we wrote it off, but when we won, we pocketed the money. Now he's saying we, so that does kind of imply it wasn't just him doing it. That is just a bald-faced lie. I never cashed one penny out of those games. You are more than welcome to do your due diligence and ask the cashiers. They control the money. There are exactly zero times that I put money from the table into my pocket. Horrible accusation and shoddy reporting. All money stayed on the tables. That I actually believe now. I don't, I don't think he took money out of, the, out of the game here. He was losing, as referring to himself, 100 to 300 every day is a gross exaggeration, but somewhat true. Of course I was losing while playing on the tables. I was losing on purpose, although I tried to keep it in the $50 range. There's no reason to try to take money from my own players. The, The idea behind playing is to keep the games going during downtime so they have the opportunity to fill back up with new active players. If the promotions would have worked good as I had hoped, then there would have been no reason to try and hold the games together, but as I have previously mentioned, there just wasn't very much traffic. By sitting down in the games, I had the opportunity to talk with the players, hold the games together, so the dealers could make tokes, evaluate what promos they liked, and which ones weren't as popular. Remember, we had six different giveaways going on at the same time. Uh, I'll skip the next paragraph. He's kind of just saying the same things before. Uh, as for why Cantor isn't putting the missing money back into the promo fund, there isn't any missing money. My last day of the promo fund was at 22000 so not only did we pay every penny back to the players, we actually added twenty-two thousand of our own money and gave it to the players. We were taking in around two thousand a day, and promo money were paying out about thirty-five hundred or so. Most promos were positively received, and the uh, aces cracked insurance and twenty-five dollars highest hand of the half hours on every table was overly expensive. Aces has cracked more than it wins, and twenty-five dollars every half on every table is basically what they were raking. And and then he went on and. You know, you owe me an apology, blah, blah, blah. I won't bother reading that. But uh, I guess I will read It's only one, shot, one short paragraph. I hope this answered your questions. I think you owe me an apology. It is a terrible thing that you accuse me of and completely unfair. I am very approachable, love the public relation aspects of poker, and also conduct myself in an extremely professional manner at all times. I have a family, attend church, and am a Cub Scout leader, volunteer at the school, and represent myself in the poker community with the highest of integrity. Just because you didn't use my name doesn't mean that everyone didn't know who you were trying to implicate. Thank you for your time, Todd Buchler. Now, I believe that was him writing that whole thing. He responded a few other times. Um, a number of people responded back to him, in- including some people who registered just to talk about this. Obviously people who were connected to this in some way. Either people who were pro-Todd Bushler or anti-Todd Bushler. We have people in the chat room right now who are anti-Todd Bushler, who otherwise have never listened to this show. So a lot of people are very uh, passionate about this. Um, Now, a guy named Harley Farley showed up and asked some questions. I thought they were good questions, but most of these never got answered. Um, Who and why was the line item game protection chosen? Why not write down exactly what promo was being paid out? Typically, auditing likes to know who, what, why, and where. Why did you break those accepted conventions? So he's asking, why did you write game protection? Why did you write reimbursing myself for losses? Why why did you write game protection, the guy's asking. It's a good question. Why did you come up with that name? Uh, Have you ever known or worked in a room previously that used an ambiguous line item like that? Was your paperwork audited daily? Who was supervising the games when you were playing in them? You say you never cash out a single penny You sat in the game and, until you were felted every time So he explained that later That he gave it to the reserve fund that, that one he did answer Who is the we you refer to When you said that You said when we lost we wrote it off But when we won we pocketed the money That's so why did he say we instead of I uh, If during the course of a session You used promo funds to reimburse your losses Any tips that you gave to the dealer Were not returned to the players Or did you never tip the dealers so I, th- I think that's, you know, that's a valid point that whenever he tipped the dealers out of the promo money that that was just gone and the dealers took it. But yeah, I don't think that's that big of a deal because it wasn't that much money and if, if 22000 was overpaid, the players did pretty well overall. That's my opinion. Um, were you impl- employed for longer than 90 days? And uh, totally unrelated, did the M Resort, where he worked before, seed the promo poker fund when the broom opened? So... Most of these didn't get answered. Uh, There's been some debate as to whether this was even legal, what was being done, with uh, using promo funds to play in the game. It is completely legal to have shill players in the game. Shill players are ones who are using house money, who work for the casino, and who actually play in the game using house funds, where they're not keeping what they win or what they lose. That basically they sit down with house money. If they win, the house wins. If they lose, the house loses. And these are people who are just put there to keep the games going. Uh, but shill players usually don't dump the money. Usually shill players uh, just play a normal poker game. And if they win, they win. They lose, they lose. They're kind of like just like a warm body in the game that the house is sponsoring. But uh, I don't know the legality of using the promo funds... To, uh, to fund play in there. That may have been illegal and it may have also been against the Palms rules even if it wasn't illegal. Um, I've mentioned before that one of my big problems with this, even if this wasn't anything intentional, even if it wasn't done, is that it's very ripe for abuse where the promo funds are played with by people who work in the room who could intentionally lose them to their friends. I'm not saying that it happened. It may not have happened. But it's something that could happen. And even if Todd himself wouldn't do it, maybe the people who played in the game, also with player funds, the other employees who did, if there were any, maybe they did it. So I think it's really a bad idea. I understand what he was trying to do. If you want to know my opinion on the whole thing, I don't think that Todd Bushler was trying to steal... I don't think he was trying to be shady. I think he he believed he came up with a great idea, and he didn't really think it through. He put too many promotions at the same time, which were going to crush the whole thing no matter what, to where there's no way it could have been successful. Even if they had 10 tables running, then they would have just had 10 times the problem with too much money being paid out. If you just have too many promotions paying out for what you're taking in rake, if you have more tables, it just multiplies the problem. So I, I never understood that. But, you know, that that's between him and the Palms, whether he was competently setting up the promotions or not. But I, I think the promotions were destined to fail. There were just too many of them for what they were taking in or what they could take in, no matter how many tables run. And I don't know about the legality of it, Obviously, they they shouldn't have been playing with the money because of the potential abuses that could occur, and it just looks bad. Uh, But I think the guy was believing that uh, by creating a very player friendly promo that's much more player friendly than any other poker room in Vegas, and it was, and also by sitting in the games himself and and chunking off money, even if it did come from the promo pool, if he was, uh, you know, still he created very good games by making himself the fish. Uh, He thought that eventually word would get around, not only are these great games, but there's also all these great promos. You play in this game and and you're going to kick ass. Now there is someone who realized this and who who did play in these games. And uh, this guy, I'm going to have him on radio sometime. I actually meant to ask him about tonight. If he wants to call in, he can. This is a guy who calls himself uh, 7card2003. His name is Tony. Uh, His name, uh, so Tony actually, uh, uh, this guy actually has Asperger's and admits this. This is a guy who uh, has been diagnosed with Asperger's and really survives on uh, an extremely low bankroll. This is like the ultimate low limit grinder. Who, who really survives playing the very lowest limit of poker and, and, and trying to use whatever promos he can to get by. And So when he found this, he thought this was wonderful. And he actually registered an account on this site to post about it and said that uh, he's surprised it never caught on, that for him it was wonderful, and that uh, he won a lot of money playing there. It was hard for him to lose, he said, playing at these uh, at these tables with all these great promos running. So this Tony guy was very happy with it. So, anyway, um, I don't think there was anything evil intended here, but, uh, the whole thing became a big mess, and there were a lot of dealers who were angry about this. A lot of dealers are, are frustrated about the whole thing, the way the whole thing, uh, Went down uh, I'm not going to read Everything that was said or so Let me I will read one thing that this calling BS person posted Just to give you an Alternate standpoint But to show you how crazy this is getting A person named Poker Princess Not Poker Princess but Poker Princess Made a post And said that uh, They worked for Todd Bushler when they they ran the M And that uh, Wrote a few bad things about him anyway This poker princess was fake There actually is someone who's Has a nickname of uh, Poker princess But it's with an S Poker P-R-I-N-S-E-S And her name is Shannon And she worked at the M poker room Just like the poker princess Said she did so we had a fake poker princess Showing up and the real poker princess found out About this and showed up and was very Angry about it saying what the hell why are you Imitating me to talk shit like a, We actually have uh, poker princesses Imitating one another in this thread And these are all people who work In the Vegas uh, poker room scene I have a feeling this Harley Farley is someone who posts uh, you know, Who works there uh, We have uh, A person named Riley G who showed up uh, Riley G pointed out that uh, Cantor uh, really is taking a bath from this whole thing because not only was there a $22,000 loss, but uh, whatever drinks are, or- are ordered, uh, Cantor has to pay for those too. So this is probably going to, this whole disaster, is pr- in Riley's opinion, is probably going to cause Cantor to not renew their lease of the poker room space when the lease is up very soon. And it'll be either closed or taken over by the Palms once again. So he was unhappy about this. This calling BS person said that there were no staff meetings about this. And claimed that Todd was not working very much. That he didn't show his face in the room that much. I'm not saying this is true, but this calling BS person was claiming that. And he said a lot of other things uh, that were critical of Todd's management style. So there were a lot of people who didn't like this Todd guy, but then there were some people who posed in the thread in his defense, saying that he was a good guy, that uh, they don't believe he would steal. So there was a further fallout from this whole thing. After I saw all this stuff, I, I changed my original post to make it clear that I didn't think Todd Butchler has stolen anything and that I think there's some questions that still need to be answered, like the ones posted by Harley Farley, but that I, I felt that uh, the worst of the accusations that he was stealing from the promo pool were, were not true. But that some other things really should be answered here. Such as whether this was being done illegally and uh You know, whether there were multiple people playing and, you know, if he's sure the money was lost fairly to everybody, blah, blah, blah. But I I changed the original post to make it clear what I really felt at that point and to make it clear that I no longer thought it was plausible that he had stolen from uh, the player, the promo pool. But by this point, someone had posted... On 2 Plus 2, linking Poker Fraud Alert And this story And eventually Mason Malmuth came out And Mason, let me give you a little background With me and Mason and me and 2 Plus 2 I've never broken any kind of Major rule on 2 Plus 2 Or even really a minor rule I mean, I've really been a good user on 2 Plus 2 I've been very respectful of their rules The few times I've ever broken minor rules Is because I didn't know they have a lot of really, you know, stifling rules over there. But, you know, once I'm aware of a rule, I've never broken it there. I, I've been a good poster. I don't troll people. Uh, I post informative posts, thoughtful posts, um, detailed posts. I I think I bring good content to 2plus2, both now and going many years back, including when I was highly involved with... Uh, the AP scandal and uh, fleshing out that whole thing as it was going on, but I was banned in 2008 from Two Plus Two for something that I didn't do, and that Mason knew I didn't do. Uh, a story was brought to Neverwin Poker, which I didn't own, but I was a mod there, and uh, the story was brought out by by Brian Mycon, who was one of the owners of Neverwin Poker, about David Skolansky. And a Disabled girl, mentally disabled girl Who lived with Skolansky Who was much, much, much younger than him Like 40 years younger than him that uh, you know, Whom had a sexual relationship with Skolansky For quite some time And, you know, Skolansky Who was Mason Malmuth's Best author for 2 Plus 2 Publishing It's a publishing company In addition to a big forum Uh, this made his best author look really bad. So between that and a story about uh, David Skolansky and uh, Brandy Hawbaker, which is also associated with it, uh, Skolansky, even though Skolansky himself was then posting on Two Plus Two about the subject, so it's not like they were trying to cover it up at first. You know, Skolansky himself was very willing to discuss the subject, but somehow Mason was so mad at Brian Micon for doing this and making his primary author look bad even though these things were true that uh, not only was Brian on banned and not only were links to Neverwin Poker stifled there and they still are to this day even though Neverwin Poker doesn't have a forum anymore um, but anyone associated with Neverwin Poker was banned so because I was a mod on Neverwin Poker I was banned and not only was I banned Mason Malmuth had an obsession with a hatred for me, for Brian Micon, and for Neverwin Poker. And I didn't understand this because I had nothing to do with all this. I was a mod on Neverwin Poker, but I didn't do any of these posts about Skolansky. I think I participated in the, in the discussion, but I wasn't the one posting the information that Mason didn't like. My only discussion was about stuff that David himself said on 2 Plus 2. None of this stuff was happening on 2 Plus 2 other than what David himself was bringing out. It was all happening on Everyone Poker. So I was banned really literally guilt by association, and I was told I cannot return. Mason admitted I had broken no rules on two plus two. He said, as far as my posts on two plus two, they were fine, but I could not return to two plus two until I disassociated myself with neverwin poker forever. So I said, well <laughs> forget it i'm not I'm not quitting Neverwin poker because you're demanding it F you so. That was it for me in 2 Plus 2. Now, after I appeared on 60 Minutes and said something at the end that upset some people, even though it ended up being true, I said that uh, in addition to AP and UB, there may be other major sites cheating people. And at the time, everyone was up in arms about that. But lo and behold, two and a half years later, we had the full tilt debacle. So it turned out I was right, but nobody knew that in 2008. I didn't know for sure when I said that, but I said it's possible we have that. And I was right, we did. But anyway, Mason Malmuth took this opportunity to slam me and went on the 2 2 Poker Cast. And instead of talking about the 60 Minutes piece about AP and UB, he spent the entire segment bashing me and bashing Neverwind Poker. Now, I'm not going to play that whole thing, but that just shows the the level of obsession he had with the whole subject of Neverwind Poker and me. And uh, while I won't play that, I'll play you a little remix. Of uh, what he had to say about me and everyone poker at the time in
2: 2008. The degenerate. 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 A very unimportant person. His
3: team's going to Google his name.
2: A very unimportant person.
3: His team's going to Google his name. And they're going to come to the website that he's associated with. They're gonna to come to the website. Come to the website. To the website. We're for, we're for, we're for. Degenerate. Website. Work for it. Work for it. Work for it. work Website. Degenerates. Website. And this whole website, in my opinion, is just a cancer in our industry. Degenerate. Just a cancer in our industry. Degenerate. 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 Just a cancer in
2: our industry. The the degenerates.
0: So, um, the stuff that you heard, Mason, that was Mason's voice there, even though some of it was intentionally distorted. But that was really Mason's voice and really stuff he was saying about me and about Neverwind Poker at the time. Uh, so, years passed and I was uh, off 2 plus 2. I made a few fake accounts here and there when I wanted to post something that uh, I wanted people to see, like, you know, about lock poker, or about other things. Like, I. There were some subjects that I wanted to get out to a mass audience And since it was the biggest poker forum I, I wanted people to see these things I, I wasn't creating troll accounts I wasn't creating accounts to cause problems there I was actually making good posts under my fake accounts But I didn't do it often I'd post maybe you know once every few months on there Anyway uh, Last year about Right around a year ago I had uh, Rich Muni The vice president of the PPA, the Poker Players Alliance Here on this show And one good Thing that came of it Though it didn't start out good Was that Rich Muni, when I was continuing to debate Him over on uh, 2 Plus 2, and at the time, at first he didn't realize It was me, but after My account there, which at the time Was called Toilet Bowl Raised a lot of the Same issues that I raised on the radio show He realized it had to be me He realized it it had been me he'd been arguing with all that time. So Rich Muni outed me as being Toilet Bowl. And of course I was banned from 2 plus 2, so that was going to be the end of my account. Uh, But surprisingly, I guess because years had passed, uh, somehow this led to me being let back on 2 plus 2. And I offered, actually, I offered to Mason Malmuth, I said, look, I'm willing to bury the hatchet here, even though I, I had a lot of problems with how you handled the situation with me and never win poker back in 2008. I'm willing to forget about the whole thing and, and never mention it again. And I'm willing to follow all 2 plus 2 rules if you let me back on here, because I I like participating in this forum. So Mason, he, he had kind of a, not a very friendly response, but... It's kind of like, well, I don't care. You want to come back? Fine, come back. You know, just follow the rules. But uh, you know, I don't care if you're back or not. Sort of. The, I, that's not exactly the words he used, but that was the tone of his post. Not like, uh, okay, let's drop it. Okay, you know, let's put the past behind us. It was like I made a friendly overture to him, and he kind of came back with, "All right, come back. Fine, whatever." But fine, I, I didn't expect him to be warm or nice to me. I just wanted back on the forum. So great. Uh, the first weird thing that happened there I was like, okay, well, can you please reactivate my real account, Dan Druff? No, I'm told. I was told that uh, Matt Skolansky, David's son has forbidden Dan Druff from ever posting on 2 plus 2 again. That Todd Witellis can, but Dan Druff can't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding here. Todd Witellis, the actual person behind Dan Druff, can post on 2 plus 2, but Dan Druff cannot. (laughs) That's 2 plus 2 logic for you. So I'm like, come again? And This was told to me by one of the mods there. So I said to the mod, okay, look, um, how about uh, just make me Kilowatt? Kilowatt was one of my original screen names. I think it was the very, very first, it was actually the very, very first uh, screen name I ever used for online poker back on Planet Poker in 2001. So I said, make me Kilowatt. So he made me Kilowatt, and that's what I became known there. And I didn't hide myself as kilowatt I, I made it clear that uh, Toilet Bowl had changed to kilowatt I was very clear in all of my postings there Where it was relevant of who I really was uh, So For, I don't know, almost a year now I was on 2 plus 2 in good standing And uh, I put made a lot of good posts there I really got involved in the whole lock poker situation over there uh, Made a lot of good posts about that uh, in general, I was well-liked over on that forum. Yeah, I had some trolls who didn't like me or some people who didn't like me from the past who would troll me there, but for the most part, I was well-liked and people enjoyed my posts. I even got a nice message uh, from Marco Valerio, of uh, formerly of Quad Jacks, twice, that he was really enjoying my posts on 2 plus 2. So, once again, I didn't break any rules on 2 plus 2. But I found myself banned on 2 plus 2 As of yesterday Absolutely, positively Ridiculous Let me tell you What I saw When I tried to log on to 2plus2 This really caught me by surprise Now, keep in mind, before this Mason had posted a message that I owed A full and complete apology To Todd Bushler And he also slammed Poker Fraud Alert Saying that the forum is too small to be relevant and it shouldn't really matter because no one's going to see what I wrote. But yeah, like I already thought that was kind of shitty to say, to bash Poker Fraud Alert, say it's too small for anyone to care. So who really? What it doesn't really matter. But I I, I should apologize to him. And he wrote just some other generally nasty things about me there, not insulting things directly, but just. Stuff like the form's too small, um, you know, that I, I don't think before I write things. I, I forget exactly what he said, but uh, it was very attacking, shall I say. But I didn't even respond to him. I, I said, I'm not going to engage with Mason here because I know he takes it very personally and will ban me. So I just ignored him. But I found myself, anyway, banned. And it says this, you have been banned for the following reason. Need to make... A full and sincere apology. Date ban will be listed? Never. <laughs> so wait a minute here. Wait, wait a minute. So why was I banned? I was banned not because of any rules I broke on 2 plus 2. I was banned not for any trash I talked about Mason or anyone associated with Mason. I didn't do that. I haven't, I haven't bashed Mason at all until today, or until after I was banned. I haven't bashed any of his authors. I've been a good boy on 2 Plus 2, in every way, shape, or form. But I was banned for posting something about a third party that, as far as I can tell, Mason does not know on my site. Not on 2 Plus 2, but I posted something about Todd Buchler, who Mason I don't even think knows, on Poker Fraud Alert... And because I have not apologized to Todd Bushler about the part of my post that turned out to likely be inaccurate, I'm banned on 2 plus 2. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense at all? So, is that the new rule on 2 plus 2? That if you posted anything on any other poker forum anywhere that angers someone else or makes an accusation towards someone else that uh, doesn't turn out to be true, that you're banned on 2 plus 2? I mean, I, I don't understand it. So today, some people have been uh, bashing Mason about this on his uh, on Two Plus Two, and I appreciate that. The best message I saw, and then I'll move on from this topic. I see Muck Ficon in the chat is really sick of this topic, but the best message I saw there, kind of describing what Mason did, and it's it's pretty accurate. <laughs> This is a guy named Feline9. I don't know who Feline9 is. He's not a friend of mine. I don't know who he is, but he made a good post. He said, Based on what some in this thread have said, it appears that Mr. Malmuth diligently scans other poker forums looking for people who are unhappy with other people, and if the people who are making the other people unhappy refuse to apologize sincerely to the unhappy people, then Mr. Malmuth swoops back here like some sort of avenging angel of internet butthurt and bans the people making the other people unhappy. Is that it? No wonder he looks so damn tired. <laughs> he does look tired. Mason Malley, he, he always looks so tired and worn out and just unhappy. I don't know if you've ever seen him play poker. Like he goes to Bellagio and plays thirty sixty or five ten no limit sometimes. He just always looks pissed off and unhappy. And I, I stopped saying that for a while because I, I didn't want to insult the guy when I I agreed that I'm going to stop saying anything bad about him or or other powers that be on the forum and the funny thing is I actually like most of the people who run that forum I I like all the mods there I like uh, the, the guys who do the poker cast I think most of them like me but unfortunately the one with the most power has hated me for years, and I, I'm sure this was done not because he cares so much about Todd Bushler or, or what I wrote about Todd Bouchler. I'm sure he did this because it was an excuse to get rid of me. Which is dumb because I'm probably making him money by my good content on his site, especially because things have changed a lot since 2008, and there are not that many good posters left anymore. There used to be a lot of good posters there in 2008, but a lot of them have left for whatever reason. So, good content there is really starting to get scarce, and in fact, if you go to Newsviews Gossip, which used to be so active it was impossible to keep up with, now you'll see uh, threads on the front page that are uh, not all that recent. I'm not saying it's a dead forum. It's more active than my forum by far, but it's not what it used to be. But anyway, I'm sure he did this for one of two reasons, or maybe both reasons. Uh, one, because he just hates me and always has, and kind of just reluctantly let me on because... Uh, the idea was thrown up, and he didn't want to look like a jerk. But he's kind of been itching to ban me ever since. And and, and number two, I run a competing forum, and maybe he doesn't want Poker Fraud alert to ever gain traction. Keep in mind, Mason's the same guy who actually ordered that they delete good strategy threads on 2 plus 2 because it would interfere with book sales if they stayed up. He didn't want good strategy being discussed on 2 plus 2 if uh, it was strategy that was just as good as In the books they published He said why would anyone buy our books If they can get it for free here Now he can delete what he wants on his own forum But I mean how how unethical is that To run a forum Where people come And contribute free content Which makes you a lot of money He makes a lot of money in advertising on the forum He makes money from people buying books Because they're there on the forum And see the books that they can buy So all these users that are there for the content are making him so much money and getting nothing out of it themselves other than the content of the forum. And then he deletes that content just so he can sell more books. I thought that was really, really crappy. You can't have it both ways. You can't run the biggest poker forum in the world and also sell books and not have some duplication of content. It's going to happen. But he wanted it both ways. Mason also once banned someone a, a respected writer on ESPN Named Gary Weiss He once banned him six years ago For featuring me in an ESPN article I'm not even kidding For just featuring me in an article Gary Weiss got banned It got undone when there was big outrage about it But he actually banned someone For featuring me in an ESPN article That's how crazy this guy is So I'm sure with me talking about Mason The way I am on this broadcast The chance of me being let back on there is even smaller now, especially if he ever hears it. And I've posted plenty of things on Poker Fraud Alert since I got banned that haven't been very flattering towards him, but screw it. I'm not going to grovel, and I'm not going to be told who to apologize to. You know, when I was four years old, and I hit another kid, and my mom saw it, and my mom would grab me and pull me over the other kid and say, Say you're sorry. Well, even if I wasn't sorry, I had to do it. Because my mom... It's told me I have to, or I'm going to be in trouble. So I did. I'd say I'm sorry whether I meant it or not. And that's normal for a four-year-old. That's the way you treat a four-year-old who you feel did something wrong and when you are his mother or father. But not when it's two adults both running poker forums. You don't make the guy running the smaller forum Apologize to a third party That you barely even know or don't know Because you say so And if he doesn't you're going to ban him from your form that's just, that's just trying to flaunt your power That's trying to Intimidate someone else That's trying to Force another adult To do what you tell them to do Because you think you're the boss Well you're not the boss I don't have any bosses Anything I do It's because I feel it is the right thing to do not because Mason Malmuth tells me to do it, or anyone else. Now, I can respect rules that Mason Malmuth sets down for his own forum. And I did respect those rules. I followed those rules. He has an obsession over there that you can't ever post links to your own site. Daniel Negreanu even got banned once for that. So fine. There were times I wanted to post a very relevant link to a poker fraud alert post I had about a topic they were discussing there, but no, I couldn't do it because I knew it was against the rules, so fine, that's his rules. When I use 2 plus 2, I understand I have to follow Mason's rules, and that's fine, I do it. But don't try to control what I do on my forum. My forum is like my house. I make my rules here. By the way, the new Palms manager I've just been told is named Sharon Fan. Anyway, I don't think I'll be back on 2 plus 2. I'm never going to make the apology that Mason wants. And the funny thing is I agreed in that 2 plus 2 thread, I would apologize when the whole thing was complete and I had enough information and if I felt an apology was warranted at that point to Todd Buchler, I would give him an apology for whatever I felt needed apologizing for. If I felt that. But I said, we're not at that point yet. We're not done yet with this topic. But he didn't give me a chance. And I have a feeling he's not going to consider my apology, whatever I end up posting, to be a full apology, because I'm not going to give a full apology. I'm going to apologize only for what I feel was incorrect and shouldn't have been said. And nothing more. But I'm not going to apologize for the whole thing, because I think the subject is something that definitely is worth discussing. It's not like uh, someone told me to... uh, post about someone was accused of stealing, and that was the whole story, and I posted it, and turned out they didn't steal, and that's it, and I was given bad information, and I'd be the first to apologize then. But the stealing accusation was just one part of a big long story, and most of that story was true, even by Todd Buchler's own admission. The main part that wasn't true was stealing from the promo pool. So fine, great, I'm, I'm glad that wasn't true. But There were so many other parts of that story that were true that in my opinion should not have happened. So I'm sure that Mason will never think my apology if I do give one will be sincere or full enough. And I'm sure he'll still be pissed about what I had to say about him now and six years ago. So I'm probably never going to be back on 2 plus 2 and I'm not going to make fake accounts this time unless I have something really, really, really important to say that I want to get out to everybody. But I can't think of what that would be. So people are saying, oh, you probably have 10 fakes over there. No, I have zero fakes there. The only other fakes I had, I lost when the password thing happened over there. Because I didn't have the emails associated with those accounts anymore. So I have no accounts on 2 plus 2. I'll take a call here. Caller, you're on the air.
1: Um, You just inaccurately uh, announced that Sharon Fan is the poker room manager at the Palms. That's inaccurate information. That was just a a Bravo update, and she was the contact uh, point for Bravo, and they posted her name inaccurately. I just wanted to inform you of that.
0: (laughs) Jeez, I can't get anything right these days. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, bye-bye. All right, this this one wasn't my fault. It was on the Bravo system. The Bravo system, by the way, it, it's actually a, a good system. It's a, a system that's used to uh, keep track of poker games running. Uh, at first it was internal from these, uh, in these poker rooms, but uh, now the Bravo system is uh, online and you can get a Bravo app on your phone. I don't know how many phones they make it for. I know for uh, iPhone you can get it for... Uh, in the App Store, in the Apple Store, and uh, you can see the games that are running in casinos all around the U.S. Now, not every single casino is on the Bravo network, but uh, a lot of them are. So, for example, I'm looking right now at Commerce Casino. They're running 96 games. And it's a free app, by the way. They're running 96 games at the moment. You have a whole list of the games. You have a waiting list list. And this is very useful because... Now you don't have to go down to the room or call to find this information out. So, like, if the game you want to play in... Like, let's say I want to go to Commerce right now. I would look at the two games I usually play, 4080 Hold'em and 6120 Hold'em. There's limit. And I would see that there's four 4080 games, but no waiting lists. So I'd say, oh, good, I can go down and play that right away. 6120 Hold'em. There's one game going, but a 17-person waiting list, meaning I'll never get in. So, if I wanted to play 60... I wouldn't go if I wanted to play 40 or 60 I would go of course 40 kind of sucks there because the rake is absolutely horrendous at commerce but uh, that's a different story for a different time but anyway the Bravo app for Palms apparently lists uh, Sharon Fan as the Palms manager but I I guess it's incorrect and this guy called in to tell me that it's incorrect So at least this was Bravo's fault and not mine let's move on to another topic Uh, one step if you want to call in now you can Anybody wants to call in, 775 fraud 55 775-372-8355 is the phone number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808, or you can text me, 775-372-8355. have a text here from the 815 area code. This guy texted me last week, to the same thing. I've got a boner. This guy's always getting a boner from this show. How's that happening? It's just my luck. I get these texts from dudes. They have a boner. It's never from a woman that I'm turning her on with this show. It's always a dude that has a boner from listening to me. So I've got a guy who's got a boner listening to me here two weeks in a row. I have a guy who listens every single week who hates me. Okay. (laughs) Now I just kicked myself out of the chat room, too. Boy, this is this is really going great. All right, moving on to the next topic. Let's see. Oh, the World Series of Poker. The full World Series of Poker schedule was announced. Now, last week, we talked about the big buy-in events at the World Series of Poker. And that was accidentally leaked by the World Series, and we got to see a few things. Uh, the main event now has a 10 million guaranteed first prize. Limit hold'em has moved from 5,000 to 10,000 buy-in. So have uh, stud, stud eight, pot limit hold'em, horse. And Omaha eight all moved from five thousand to ten thousand. Uh, Raz and limit deuce to seven have moved from twenty five hundred to ten thousand dollar buy-ins. I'm going through these fast because we talked about them last week. Um, the uh, there's a twenty five. Uh, the twenty five k six max no limit is now ten thousand. lowered that. And uh, the big one for one drop is back to a million dollar buy-in after being a hundred thousand last year. So this week, we learn that uh, it, it was also thought last week there were 65 events on the schedule Turns out that is true There are 65 events on the schedule The very first event is the Casino Employees event Won by Chad Holloway of Poker News, by the way, in 2013 So, good job to Chad He interviewed me on Poker News recently And uh, that's not an open event. You have to be a casino employee of some sort to play in that. That's on May 27th this year. The final event, as usual, the main event, $10,000 buy-in, $10 million guaranteed first prize. But I noticed some other things from the full schedule that was posted. If you want to see the full schedule, if you want to follow along here, go to wsop.com slash tournaments. WSOP.com slash tournaments, all lowercase. Well, I open this up and I say, okay, well, I know there's a $10,000 limit event, but let's see what other limit events are here. In 2013, they eliminated two limit events. They got rid of the $3,000 limit hold'em event, and they got rid of the $1,500 limit hold'em shootout. They also got rid of the mixed hold'em, which was limit and no limit, an event I always really liked. I even got 10th place in it in 2008 but I was scanning down the 2014 schedule hoping that since there's 65 events this year which is more than they've ever had that maybe they put one of them back maybe even more than one back and I'm scanning and scanning great go down I'm thinking okay well I guess I'll find the 2500 6 max somewhere clumped in here nope not there it's gone The only two Limit Hold'em events are the 1,500 Limit Hold'em and the 10,000 Limit Hold'em. That's it. Nothing else. They went from six events, which were either Limit Hold'em or Mixed Limit and No Limit Hold'em, to two in just two years. Now, I understand Limit Hold'em is not No Limit when it comes to a tournament format. I know that for tournaments, No Limit Hold'em is far more popular. But if you go to any poker room, especially a large poker room with a lot of games running, you'll see a lot of Limit Hold'em running. Limit Hold'em is still a popular cash game. A lot of people still enjoy Limit Hold'em. I mean, you heard at Commerce, there's there's five Limit Hold'em games running at 40, 80 and above. There's plenty of 20, 40 games running, too. There's a lot of Limit Hold'em running in cash. High limit, medium limit, low limit. So why should only 2 out of 65 events be Limit Hold'em? I understand if they only have 10 events, they can't run that many Limit Hold'ems. But 65 events, they can't run more than 2 Limit Hold'ems? It's crazy. And I don't even understand from a financial standpoint. Like, the shootout, the Limit Hold'em shootout, that, did, that, that was a good event for Caesars to run, because it runs pretty fast. The days are very short on that event. They don't run three full days. It's three short days. And they got a fairly good showing every year on that thing, like 500-something players. So why eliminate that last year? Why they eliminate the 2,500 six-max? I mean, that got a decent showing. But yet they have tournaments like Pot Limit Hold'em. Who plays Pot Limit Hold'em? Nobody. I mean, nobody plays it. I can't find a single Pot Limit Hold'em game anywhere. Not a single one. I don't know any places that spread Pot Limit Hold'em anymore. Pot Limit Hold'em it was kind of an in-between of Limit and No Limit. It's kind of like a poor man's No Limit Hold'em. And at one point they were spreading a little bit in commerce before No Limit Hold'em became all that popular in the cash game format. But since No Limit Hold'em became a standard in cash games, Pot Limit's become obsolete. It's gone. So I don't know why they're still holding Pot Limit Hold'em Tournaments here And uh, Why we have so many Odd variants of the game up here But we only have two Limit Hold'em events I'm not saying to have it all be No Limit and Limit Hold'em But but at least more than two Limit Hold'em events I, I think that's really a big mistake Especially with 65 events in a month and a half To get it done Um The Millionaire Maker is back In case you're wondering what that is The Millionaire Maker That's named after a It's kind of a Marketing Thing that uh, Caesars has been Doing in not just poker but also In their casino where um, People win a million Dollars in some way A Millionaire Maker slot machine where the Jackpot's a million dollars, a millionaire a millionaire maker a slot tournament, a millionaire maker uh, poker tournament, whatever. So the millionaire maker poker tournament is where there is a $1 million guaranteed first place prize. Now, you may laugh at that with the first place prize being $10 million for the main event. Who would care about a, a tournament, the World Series, where the guaranteed prize is? $1,000,000 But the reason it's a big deal Is because the buy-in is only 1500 So it's pretty good You buy in for 1500 You can win a guaranteed million I knew this was going to be very popular I knew this was a genius move For once on the part of the World Series Sure enough Last year I predicted around 6,000 people They got 6,300 people last year for this event um, Very stupidly Instead of splitting it up into a Day 1A and Day 1B, uh, Day 1A and Day 1B were, po- were both in the same day. The first one earlier in the day, the second one later in the day. Of course, this created a lot of problems. They had to cancel a lot of uh, satellites and uh, other tournaments that were supposed to be running. They kept stalling people. They didn't just say, it's canceled. They'd say, wait, 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 wait. People would sit there for two hours waiting to finally start their tournament, and then they'd find it was canceled. Like It was a huge mess. They were totally unprepared for something that everybody was predicting would happen, and that is a field of around 6,000. Uh, people had a h- very hard time getting into the B flight. There were lines that were hours long to get into the B flight. I was uh, familiar with these type of stupid mistakes on the World Series part, and I registered well in advance to the A flight, so I didn't have a problem. I actually cashed in this one, but it was a kind of a min-cash. Not a, not a total min-cash, but a, a four-figure cash that wasn't anything that exciting. I think I cashed 4800 or something. But uh, The Millionaire Maker's back. It's on Saturday, May 31st. And I will be playing in it. If you bust from the A flight... At 11 a.m. This is, I think, the only tournament starting before noon. It's 11 a.m. for the first flight, the A flight. You are allowed to re-enter the B flight at 5 p.m. What I liked about this tournament, aside from the clusterfuck and the way Caesars ran it, fortunately, most of it didn't really affect me very much. But it affected a lot of other people, big time. What I liked about it was, with that size of a field, 6,300 people you can imagine the play was not very good. There were a lot of fish in that field. Whereas the typical $1,500 buy-in field, uh, you have some weaker players, but uh, there's plenty of good ones, and uh, a lot of solid ones, a lot of semi-solid ones. This one really did have a lot of fish. So I felt I had a big edge against the typical player in this field. Of course, later on in the tournament, when a lot of the fish busted, then it was tougher because you have a lot of... uh, Good players left But I was able to do as well as I did Because there were a lot of fish in the field I really didn't get that good of cards In the Millionaire Maker I didn't win any big pots But I kind of just Small-balled myself With stealing and stuff like that To uh, Skate into the money So I look forward to that one again That's the Millionaire Maker on May 31st Just like last year Um The rest of the schedule is uh, nothing that exciting, nothing that different. There is one thing I noticed that is different and new, but I can't play it. And this is the Monster Stack No Limit Hold'em, event number 51 on June 26th. You start with 15,000 starting chips instead of 4,500, which is common for the 1,500 events. But here you're entering for $1,500 buy-in and you're getting 15,000 starting chips. And I thought, okay, they're just going to call it a monster stack, but they're probably going to just make the structure really fast or start you at a lot higher blind, so it didn't really matter. But no, um, the blinds start at 25-25 and move up at a normal pace, and the levels are an hour. So you really will be playing a truly deep stack event. A truly, truly deep stack event. More of a deep stack event than even the so-called deep stack events at other casinos. This is really a truly deep stack event with 15,000 starting chips, blinds 25-25 that last an hour, then 25-50, then 50 then 75-150. You, you don't even have antis until the 6th hour when it's 100-200 with 25-ante. So, you'll get a lot of play out of this one. I would really like this one, actually. Except... This is at 12 p.m. on June 26th. At 5 p.m. on June 26th is the $10,000 limit hold'em. Sorry, 4 p.m. So, needless to say, I will not be playing the Monster Stack at 12 p.m. With the one of the only two limit hold'em events being at 4 p.m. the same day. So I can't play it. But I recommend that uh, the rest of you who want to play the World Series try that one. I think it'll be a good one. Uh, as I mentioned, the big one for one drop is back at a million dollar buy-in. I, I think that's a mistake... Not a mistake in that it's wrong But a mistake in that uh, it's just stupid The reason it's stupid Is it's a few Rich businessmen And Mostly pros who are being Bought in by the organizer Of this event Guy Liberté. So Guy just Buys in a bunch of guys in poker that he likes They play for A small percentage of themselves And this is kind of Guy's roundabout Way to give to a charity that He's running anyway But instead of just Directly donating money To the charity He does it in this roundabout way But it's stupid If most of the people In the field Playing for a million dollars Are all backed by the same guy Like you know They're really not playing For a million It's only exciting To watch people Playing for a million dollar Buy in If you think that Most of them put up All or most of the money To buy into the event Then you're like Oh wow These guys risked a million dollars To play this tournament Wow that's a big deal But it's not a big deal They're being bought in By a billionaire so who cares? Anyway, there's a smaller one-drop they've had every year that they've done this one-drop thing. I think this is the third year now. The little one for one-drop, which is uh, event number 62, for $1,111 buy-in. I did not play it last year. I'm not going to play it this year, and I'm recommending that you don't play it either. Now, why am I anti the... Little one for one drop Am I a Scrooge Who hates charity Do I think you should be so selfish As to not play a charity tournament Because uh, there's not value in it Because some of the pool goes towards charity Am am I that much of a jerk Do I not want people in Third world countries to have clean water Which is what the charity is about No, I, I think the charity itself is fine I have nothing against the one drop charity I think it's probably a good charity So why don't I want you to play the little one for one drop Where $111 out of every buy-in Goes directly to the one drop charity I'll tell you why Because Caesars is charging full juice On that event Can you believe this? They take $111 off the top so it becomes like a regular $1000 buy-in event. They donate that part to charity and then they rake the normal amount for the house. <laughs> no wait, don't laugh. It's not a laughing matter. It's it's not even funny. So Caesars is not donating any donating anything. They're not donating a damn thing. They're running a for-profit tournament that will be just as profitable per player as it is if as if it's a $1000 tournament. They're just tacking another $111 on for the charity, but they're keeping all the profits for themselves. They're not even donating any part of the profits to the charity. So what is Caesars doing here? They're doing nothing except padding their own wallets. So screw them. That's totally not what charity is about. Charity should be about everybody involved giving something. So in a charity poker tournament situation, the house should be giving something, and the players should be giving something. It shouldn't be all one or all the other. Otherwise, it's not really a charity tournament, especially if it's all on the backs of the players. The casino should not be making their normal rake off a tournament that is a charity tournament. Otherwise, it's not really a charity tournament. I mean, I guess the charity gets money, but all it is is a, a way for the casino to make even more money and call it charity and make you give the charity. And by the way, who gets the $100, $111 write-off to charity? Do you? No. Caesars does. That's right. You can't even write the $111 off as a charity thing from your taxes. You can't. You can't say, I gave $111 to charity and, and you know, deduct it. You can't do that. It's Caesars' deduction to take. Now, Jack Effel claimed last year, Jack Effel, the uh, World Series of Poker director, claimed that they didn't actually claim it even though they could have because they already reached their maximum in charitable donations they could uh, uh, put on their tax return. But still, it's not even your deduction. If you really want to be generous to the one-job charity, find the way to donate to them, which I'm sure you can just Google and find out, and send them 111 bucks and don't play the tournament. Screw Caesars. They should not be getting their regular rake from that tournament. They should be contributing their part too, and they're not. A few other small notes about the World Series of Poker. Let me get to my notes here. Uh, A few other minor changes this year. In order to accommodate the degenerates who want to enter multiple events in one day, they have extended the late registration until just prior to the start of Level (laughs) 7? So... It used to be level 5 Right before level 5 started So if you wanted to come in late to a tournament Provided that level 5 had not begun play yet You were allowed to enter Meaning through the end of level 4 And the break following level 4 And the levels are an hour So you could, in almost all the events So you basically had 4 hours and 40 minutes Including the breaks To show up late Uh, Now they've extended it To just prior to the start of level 7 The big difference here is that this now will typically encompass the dinner break. The dinner break typically occurs after level 6 on the 12 p.m. events. So the way it would work is you'd start a 12 p.m. event at 12. At 2 o'clock, you have a 20-minute break, usually. 2.20, you come back, play another two hours. 4.20, you have a 20-minute break. 4.40, you come back, play another two hours. That's the end of level 6 at 6.40. And then you have a 90-minute dinner break that ends at 8.10. And 8.10 you're starting to level 7 So now that you can register before the start of level 7 You can actually register for a 12 o'clock event All the way up to 8.10 in the <laughs> evening That is crazy It's ridiculous to come in with a starting stack Coming into level 7 Now why do they do this? They're doing this so the degenerates Who bust out of uh, other events they're playing can more easily enter a second event. I never do this, by the way. I never play two events in one day. Never, ever, ever. The only way I would, it would be if I made a day two and then busted out quickly and then had an event like later that evening. But I would never play like a several hours in a day and then uh, go register for another event. I've seen people like bust out of a final table and then go register for an event. It's crazy. Like uh Greg Mueller did this at the final table of the 5k limit event. He busted like 7th place and then he just he got up and said, "Okay, I'm registering for whatever 1500s running right now." It's crazy. I couldn't do that. I, I need a break. But uh you know, they want to make their extra rake from these people. And they don't want them to run out of time. So they they want people to be able to show up as late as they can. Now they have over eight hours. And this, of course, applies to the events that start uh, in the after- later in the afternoon, too. Speaking of the later afternoon events, they used to start at 5 p.m. Now most of them are 4 p.m. And now they play ten levels instead of eight. Now, I actually like this change. Uh, the 12 p.m. events played ten levels before stopping for the day. The 5 p.m. events used to play eight levels. And I didn't like that because I had what I called... Too many meaningless day twos. And that is where you make day two, but where there's a whole lot of the field still left, especially at limit events. And then you bust somewhere like a few hours into day two, and then if you wanted to play a 12 p.m. event that day, you can't. Or you could, but you'd be entering super late and it's not worth it. So I really only like making day two if I've either made the money or I'm very close to the money. I hate when I make day two and half the field's left. Where I've got a tiny stack and unlikely to cash Even with not that much of the field left So I'm glad to do 10 levels No matter what time I start But again they're doing this For monetary reasons at Caesars Uh, They realized they were losing out on people Who were just barely making day 2's On the uh, 5pm starting days And then those people could not play The 12pm events Because they had to go start their day two at 2 two p.m. or 3 p.m., and by the time they would bust, they either couldn't enter or didn't want to enter so late. So now a lot fewer short stacks are going to make it through to uh, a meaningless day two, and they'll be all ready to play again the next day with nothing on their schedule. So, again, being done for monetary reasons. But I'm, I'm happy they made the change nonetheless. This does make a later day for the 4 p.m. events. Uh, people who make it through day one on those events probably won't be done till well after 3 in the morning. But I'm okay with it. I'm used to staying up late. So I'm frustrated. I will be playing the World Series despite all this. I won't be playing all that many events. I used to play like 12 events. I'm I'm not going to be doing that this year. Um, I will be playing the Millionaire Maker. I will be playing both limit events. I will be playing the main event I'll be playing a handful of other $1,500 events, and let's see. The one thing I'm thinking about right now that I didn't talk about, is the anti-only event gone? If that is, it'll be... Oh, it's still here. The anti-only no limit. It's an interesting event. And, uh, I almost cashed the first year of it. I did poorly last year, running queens into aces after taking some other... after running into aces like a few hands before that, with top pair. Uh, But a lot of fish at my table last year. Didn't get the good cards. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So I'll play the Anti only. I'll play the Millionaire Maker. I'll play a handful of $1,500 buy-in events. N- none of the $1,000 no limits, because you don't start with enough chips. I'll play both limit holdings. I'll play the main event. And uh, I will sell pieces of myself in every event, I think, except for the main event. The reason I don't sell pieces of myself in the main event is just uh, as much as I like sharing my success with people on Poker Fraud Alert, um, when you're playing for that much money, where I could potentially win, you know, $10 million, and not that I ever think I'll win the main event, but if for some fluky reason I win it, I, I don't want to give away $4 million of my 10000000 million. I'll, I'll feel like a fool. So, I mean, yeah, I'll be giving it away to members of my site, but let's be honest here. If you won ten million dollars, would you want to give away four million to to people on this site? You wouldn't. Um, I, I was I was happy to, you know, sell pieces of myself for the five K limit last year, and, and uh, I, I didn't mean to sell as much as I did. I actually kind of accidentally did that, but you know, I, I was happy to have some people share my success there. But we weren't talking about huge money there. we're, we're talking about you can win ten million. I I don't want to sell pieces of myself. I, I just don't. Uh, anyway, uh, call you around the air. Yo, it's Wolf. Hello, uh, Wolf. What would you like to say?
4: Man, I don't know. It's been a couple of years. I was just wondering when you were going to let uh, Slim T's, you know, persona, come back on the website.
0: <laughs> I don't know. A lot has a lot has happened since then. Uh, I, I, you yeah, know. I, man.
4: I've actually haven't heard a, a show in like a year and a half. Huh. I've been uh, I've been kind of under the weather, but uh, my gambling's been going really good. I'm going to be out there for the World Series this year.
0: Well. Uh, if if I can give you one piece of advice it's to uh do all your laundry before you come into town.
4: <laughs> I hear you, my man.
0: Okay, so uh you know, I I, I don't know. I, I think that if you're uh if if you're gonna make a return here, I, I would suggest in, in some way making uh, some kind of peace with Brandon because he was the one who uh really took the, the brunt of everything here and uh that that's that's my advice here.
4: Well, that's cool, man. Uh, you know, but either way, like, are you saying you'd rather me start a new name or, you know, start a new account or uh, whatever?
0: I, I, I don't know what I'd rather, but that's, a, that's my suggestion. Whatever, whatever form you're going to, you want to return in, I would suggest that that'd be square one is somehow uh, make peace with Brandon. I well, hey, I, love I me or hate me,
4: man. I, I got a bunch of buddies on the site and I definitely promoted the site. Okay. And, I mean, you know, it says, hey, you're banned the same way that, you make fun of two plus two banning you. You have banned me for like two years, well, and no. I never did shit. But get, I gave money to the site, man.
0: Okay, well I'm I not... never
4: asked for anything.
0: Okay, I'm not. I gave a lot of money to the site. Okay, I'm not. I, I'm not going to debate the whole ban thing. That's that's uh, it's nothing like the Mason ban. I, I didn't ban you for things that happen on other sites, but um, I, I don't want to debate that here, but. Uh, uh, but I've
4: never scammed anybody. I never made any money, and I gave away a lot of money. You can at least admit that, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I never got one dollar from anyone.
0: People have called me a scammer and a piece of shit. No, like, I never saying,
4: made a I, dollar from any of these sites. I only gave
0: away money. I'm not saying that you scammed anybody. I've never said that. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, well, I appreciate it. That, that's, that's my suggestion here is to make uh, peace with Brandon. I think the everything good will follow. Okay, so I appreciate it. Okay, bye. That was Raw Wolf there. Uh, let's move on here to the next topic. I will be making a prank call tonight. I don't know how it's going to go, but I will be making one before the show's over. Nothing to do with poker, though. I'm not, even gonna, I'm not calling a casino this time, I promise you. Well, uh, I hate to get myself in hot water again with third-hand reports. Third-hand reports, I'm always taking a risk because I, I say things that uh, I don't know personally to be true. And then if they end up not being true or, or only partially true, I look like a fool. And and people blame me for it, and Mason Malmuth bans me, and, you know, stuff like that happens. But still, uh, I can't ignore things that are brought to me that seem like they could be legitimate. Uh, There is a site called Full Flesh Poker that's on the Equity Poker Network. Uh, To explain the Equity Poker Network, let me... Go back to my notes about that, and uh, I'll tell you about the Equity Poker Network, which we've talked about before on this show. Uh, In November, they started five skins on what's called an Equity Poker Network. They only had a few dozen players overall at the time. I don't know how it's doing now, but there were five skins called Poker Hero. Not Hero Poker, but Poker Hero. Gear poker, heritage sports Full flush poker and integer poker <laughs> So uh, Real titans of the industry Anyway uh, That was the Equity Poker Network And They called itself they called itself A non-profit network Now it doesn't mean that the skins don't profit It means that the network itself does not profit And all the skins Manage their own rake back and deals so there is no parent network that's making money on top of the skins. The skins are just kind of all making money on their own, managing their own rakeback deals. And and uh, I thought it was going to be a mess because if it ever did become a successful network or even a semi-successful network, all the skins would just poach each other's players. When I say poaching, I mean like, if, for example, if Gear Poker is offering 40% rakeback, then Poker Hero will come to their players and say, hey... You want 45%? Well, ditch, po- Greek, ditch gear poker and come over here to Poker Hero. And then gear poker will say, oh, yeah? Well, how about for 50% rake back, you come back? And you know, th- this is what happened over at Merge that caused all kinds of problems. But at least Merge was attempting to put rules in place to stop this. Equity didn't have any rules like this. So I, I thought, boy, this is going to be a mess. But I also thought the whole thing would probably just fail and never even get to that point. W- well, um, a person. Registered on this site last month called Shaniqua. I don't think it's really a black woman, but uh, whatever reason they called themselves Shaniqua. And they put, well, our first or second negative reports are coming in from Full Flush, a skin of equity poker. Today's news re- was released that a longtime member of a rakeback site who's never had any problems that we know of had all of his funds seized. The amount is unknown. The Full Flush reps claim chip dumping, but will not give any feedback or proof of the chip dumping. They also have another player's funds on hold, as his or her account is, quote, under investigation. This comes about a month after Full Flush kicked off many people from an affiliate program just because they were winning players. So, uh, I asked for some kind of proof to this, that I asked, uh, can you give me... Uh, link to another thread on another site talking about this or give me the player's screen names. And the Shaniqua person couldn't give this to me. Said, I can't at the moment. I can't post any screen names they haven't been given to me uh, through the affiliate. I can't even talk about the affiliate because it's binding for me not to or I could be kicked off from the affiliate because of the deals I receive here. So it's someone who has something to do with... With the affiliates, it's some some affiliate person. In fact, they even PM me about some affiliate stuff. So, it's some person who is one of these affiliates that that got this information third hand. I don't know if it's true, but I just they're clear of this whole network, this this equity network. It seems like a disaster, especially since they give such auto- autonomy to these skins, many of which are low budget operations. Many of these are one man operations. Sometimes you go on a nice-looking website and you think, okay, this looks like a real poker site. You picture some kind of big operation, a big professional company operating out of a big building with a big budget. No, a lot of times it's one guy literally living in his mom's basement running a poker skin. I've seen this before. I've really seen people running poker skins out of their parents' spare bedroom. So... Obviously, these people aren't very deep-pocketed, and they are often not very ethical, especially when they're running U.S.-facing rooms, despite uh, the UIGEA and Black Friday and everything else that makes it dangerous to do so these days. So stay away from full-flesh poker and equity, in my opinion. Let me get... Uh, by the Someone in the chat room is asking if it's full-fleshlight poker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I might actually play there If that's what it was We you could win uh, fleshlights I think you'd probably have a higher chance Cashing out fleshlights Than you would Cashing out money there So uh, Moving on Let's talk about uh, Runner Runner Which is a I haven't seen it yet But I've been told It's a pretty bad movie Loosely Very loosely based upon The AP and UB scandals Uh, Basically it's about a kid Who is played by Justin Timberlake A college student who Is a winning poker player And is uh, about to pay his college tuition With uh, poker winnings Until he gets cheated By a poker site That can see his hole cards Sound familiar? He flies then to Costa Rica where the site is based To confront the shady owner Played by Ben Affleck And then is lured by the owner to join the Shady Company. That's what Runner Runner is about. Sounds like it would be interesting, but no one seems to like it. I haven't seen it yet. But I did appear in their Blu-ray Extra. The movie did so poorly commercially, and critically for that matter, that it's already out on DVD and Blu-ray, even though it uh, came out in like November in the theaters. So that's a pretty quick turnaround time. Usually it's around six months but this is available pretty quickly. Never a good sign for how the movie did. But, uh... I was in the DVD Extra. And... The way this came about was in, uh... And by the way, some reviews said this is the worst film of 2013. So... Uh, not a very well liked movie saying. but what's happened since I appeared on 60 Minutes in 2008 talking about the AP and UB scandals I have been contacted by a number of media that have wanted me to appear in uh, whatever they're doing about similar subjects I've been on a few terrestrial radio shows where I've been interviewed a few podcasts I was on a CNBC special called American Greed about this that reruns every so often. And I was contacted also by a company called Trailer Park Studios. That's really their name, but they're actually based in Hollywood. They're not it's not what you'd picture to be Trailer Park Studios. But Trailer Park Studios who was contracted by Fox to make a an extra feature, a DVD extra feature for Runner Runner. They contacted me and told me that they wanted me to appear in their feature I was not offered any money for this. I was told I would be paid for my mileage to drive down there, but that's it. Other than that, no compensation. So why did I agree to it? Uh, I agreed to it because they told me that it would be a feature discussing real-life cheating in online poker. So I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to get the stories of UB and Full Tilt out To a mainstream audience. Now, I didn't know then that Runner Runner was a crappy movie, and I'd already finished filming, but no one had seen it yet. It wasn't out yet. I was hoping it would be a good movie. I was hoping it would be a popular movie. I was hoping that a lot of people would rent the DVD and then watch the extras on there and see me and others talking about the actual real life stealing that took place at UB in Full Tilt. And I thought this is a great opportunity to get that message out. I wasn't doing this to promote myself, I wasn't doing this to promote Poker Fraud Alert. I wasn't uh, really doing this for any kind of personal gain. I was doing this to get these stories out because I want these stories out to as many people as possible. I don't want these things forgotten. So that's why I did it. That's why I did 60 Minutes. That's why I did CNBC. It was very encouraging the way it was described to me and in fact I was even told that a lawyer for the original Full Tilt would be coming the next day after me and also doing an interview and they'd put him in the piece as well. So I really thought they would have me and others talking about the cheating that took place and the stealing and then you'd have the other side of it probably poorly presented by lawyers for full tilt and whoever else. So that's what I expected this would be about. So I went down there in uh, I think it was March of 2013 March or April 2013 Uh I met the girl who was pretty much organizing the whole thing. She was very nice. Uh one thing very memorable about, about her was I think she was taller than me. <laughs> I hardly meet any girls that are taller than me, but this girl was at least six foot two, maybe even taller. Uh she was either like the same height as me or taller. It was just kind of whenever I see that it just kinda of takes me aback because you just you just don't see that very often. But um She was very nice. Everybody there was very nice. And um, they interviewed me for about an hour. They asked me a lot of questions in general about online poker. They asked about my poker career. They asked about my personal experience with online poker. They asked a lot about the various cheating scandals that occurred. I talked all about UB and Full Tilt and the process of Figuring out that the cheating that had gone on on AP and UB. After the hour or so of that interview, I was very happy with the line of questioning. Now, I knew there was not going to be an hour of me talking on the DVD extra. I knew they are going to be interviewing several people. If they put all of our interviews in it, their entirety, it would be like a 10-hour feature. So I knew that wouldn't be happening. What they do in Hollywood is they record a lot and use very little. And I knew that. That's the way everything works. Whenever you watch people being interviewed on TV, they're interviewed much, much longer than what you see. Especially on these uh, like magazine-type shows. So I wasn't expecting a staggering amount of screen time, but I just wanted the piece itself to be about poker cheating. And I thought this would be a good piece, because here you have a movie about fictitious poker cheating, About a fictitious company cheating a fictitious person And then the person who watches it Says oh now I get to watch a feature about Real online poker cheating Of what actually inspired this story So who wouldn't want to watch that But that's not how it came out I watched the extra I haven't watched the movie yet But I watched the extra I I put it in my blu-ray player Now the first thing that was annoying was the fact that I had to use a blu-ray player Uh, The DVD version, for whatever reason, does not have the extra. The extra is about 22 minutes long, I think. You can't watch this in the DVD version. It's a Blu-ray exclusive, which is really annoying because a lot of people don't have Blu-ray players. So if you just get the DVD version, you cannot watch the thing I'm in. So that by itself, I may not have done this, had I known that. I was told it's a DVD extra. But, uh... It got worse I was disappointed Watching this That the extra Watching the extra That the cheating scandals Were both minimized And also incorrectly portrayed UB and Full Tilt Were absolutely never mentioned by name You don't hear anything about UB You don't hear anything about Full Tilt By name in the entire piece Which is bad But you can say Okay, maybe they're afraid They're going to get sued Or whatever Stupid, but fine Now, they did show some very short statements from me talking about both situations, and they didn't edit them to where I said something I didn't. You really heard me talking about them accurately. They were kind of like one or two liners, where they they had me talking about it like ten minutes in the interview for each thing, and then they cut it down to one or two lines, but fine. At least the points were that you had me discussing you being full tilt You didn't hear me saying by name, they cut that, but at least what I'm saying is true to what I said on the interview. But, one, you had no idea which sites I was talking about, and two, right after they showed me, they would cut to other people talking about the same thing who then would say inaccurate things that would contradict me. For example, uh, in one case, after I talked about uh, that you never expected the owners of the site to be cheating you when I was referring to UB, I said something like, when you go on these sites, you're always aware that cheating could be happening, but what you never expect is that the owners are cheating you. I think that's what they put of me about that topic, about UB. They cut to someone else saying, the people who are smart enough to create these systems are also smart enough to find ways around the security. Well, that's not what happened. That's implying that rogue programmers who made the systems put some kind of back doors in so they could cheat. That's not what occurred. The owners of the company cheated people with UB and AP. It wasn't programmers. There weren't people sneaking in back doors. This was being done by the top levels. That's not what happened. It wasn't people smart enough to sneak ways in to cheat people. They were just using their own access to cheat people. They were, they were the owners deciding to cheat their own customers. The big difference. So anyone watching this is going to come away with the belief, probably, from hearing these other people speak, that uh, the cheating scandals were either hackers or programmers who put in backdoors, And they don't even know who did it. They don't know about UB or Full Tilt. doesn't mention them. The cheating segment itself was in general pretty short. And this is, you know, 22 minutes of the whole thing. They, they only spent a few minutes on that. Most of it focused on Black Friday and the outlawing of online poker, which I agree deserved a place in that special. But when they're doing... A piece after a film like Runner Runner, you would think it would be mostly about poker cheating online. You wouldn't think it would be about Black Friday or just general online poker stuff, but they didn't cover cheating that much. So I thought there would be an extra that would be there to complement the movie about online poker cheating with a story of real online poker cheating, but. That wasn't really what this ended up being. On a side note, they seem to really love Jesse Sylvia, the World Series of Poker runner-up of the main event. Uh, He definitely got the most screen time in the Extra. What's weird about that is he had really nothing to do with any of the cheating scandals, and he wasn't even really known as a major online poker player. Like, why was he even there? I mean, yeah, he was a a main event runner-up, but why was he in it the most? But I think they liked showing him the most. I think he got the most screen time because of all the people they interviewed, he was the only one under 40 from what I could tell. And you know how much Hollywood loves youth. So I guess they wanted the, uh... the the cool 20-something on there rather than all us old guys. So. I wasn't happy with the final piece. Um, I, I... I guess I could say I'm happy that I'm now in a DVD extra. I guess I can say I'm happy they didn't do any stupid editing to make me say things I didn't. But, uh... I don't like how they left out the UB and Full Tilt names and I don't like how they minimized the cheating and in fact uh, misportrayed information. So, this is what uh, Bukowski72 posted about the movie itself which I still haven't seen. There were many reviews that said this is the worst film of 2013 and uh, then he, I guess he talked about uh, Jesse Sylvia, Whatever. I guess he's saying he may have played more online poker than I think But Anyway That's the story with Runner Runner If you do want to see me on there Get the Blu-ray version Rent the Blu-ray version, don't get the DVD version So let's talk about uh, Don Johnson Miami Vice theme song But it's a different Don Johnson This is a Don Johnson who claims to have won I think something like 17 million dollars Playing blackjack in Atlantic City The man who broke Atlantic City And There's been a lot of talk about him recently Because uh, Let me So this was a There's a uh, Bloomberg feature about him called The Player Secrets of a Vegas Whale It's a 46 minute video You can find it by going to the Flying Stupidity Forum and uh, clicking on DMFJ-The Player Secrets of a Vegas Whale It's a guy named Don Johnson who claims that he won like $17 million playing blackjack in Atlantic City And did so without card counting, without cheating, but just playing basic strategy blackjack and finding little ways to give himself edges that uh, made him a winning player. And I don't believe it. Now, some of you may not know, a lot of you know me as a poker player. I was also a blackjack player. I was never part of a blackjack team. I probably should have been. I'm old enough to have been. Uh, had I really gotten into the card counting thing earlier Which I, I really could have, I was old enough I, I turned 21 in 1993 And you could very easily make money in blackjack For a living, in fact, in 1993 Much different game then than there is, you know, than 20 years later now uh, But I, I didn't get into card counting until 2000 Before that i just go to Vegas every few months uh, Play low-limit blackjack, lose And for some reason I was okay with that Then one day I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell am I doing? Why am I playing a game where I'm mathematically expected to lose? Why don't I learn how to count cards? And I did. By then it was late 2000 and they were already tightening things up. Uh, Some people were still making money on blackjack teams at that point and some people were doing it on their own still, but the window was closing quickly. You really don't have any professional blackjack players anymore. It's very hard to do. The casinos are very wise to card counters. A lot of them have degraded the game so much that card counters can't even beat them because the games are so terrible. Other ones that have beatable games are so paranoid they will bar you at the slightest hint of you being a card counter even if you're not even a winning player. So uh, the ability to just sit down and play big-time positive EV blackjack and make a living from it, those days are over and have been for quite some time. I haven't played a blackjack hand in quite some time. Uh, now, I was never a professional blackjack player. I did it more as a fun side activity to poker that uh, it was a way I could gamble in a casino without being negative expectation. It's this way I could have the fun of the degenerate form of gambling without uh, having the expectation of losing. Of course, there's still a lot of variance in card counting blackjack, but at least I was expected to be a winner, albeit a slight one. So... Let me tell you about the type of bets I would make. Uh, being a card counter in Blackjack, the main thing you're doing is varying your bets based upon the remainder of the deck. The basic elements of card counting are goes that if there's a lot of big cards left in the deck compared to small cards, then you want to make bigger bets. If there are a lot of small cards left compared to big par- cards in the deck, then you want to make smaller bets. So that's the basic premise of card counting. A lot of people watch movies like Rain Man and they think you have to know every card in the deck and remember every single card that's dealt. You you don't have to be able to do that. If that were the case, I couldn't do it. I don't have those abilities. But uh, I don't think it's that hard to learn how to card count. It's something that seems a lot harder than it is. It's a lot easier to become a good blackjack player than it is a good poker player. Uh, Becoming a good blackjack player, uh, a lot of it is just discipline. Anyway, I would spread anywhere between 25 to 150 to 300 to 1500, depending upon where I was. Uh, Smaller casinos, you have to spread smaller, you know, 25 to 150. Otherwise, you'll stick out like a sore thumb and they'll be watching you too closely. At uh, high limit casinos like Bellagio, I was spreading things like 100 to 500, 100 to 600, sometimes uh, 300 to 1500. Uh, If I was playing unusually high for myself But I was never like a huge whale I was never playing a five figure blackjack Or even high four figure blackjack Um, I never won or lost $10,000 in any one session in blackjack Where in poker I've done that many 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 times Anyway uh, My betting limits were pretty small Compared to this Don Johnson guy very small. I mean, this is a guy who is betting uh, 25K a hand. My point I'm making here is that the casinos have been extremely wise to the point of over paranoia about advantage blackjack play for the past uh, decade or more. So if you think that they are paranoid when I sat down, sat down and would spread 100 to 500, which they were, imagine how closely a guy like Don Johnson, who's betting 25K a hand on three spots, is being watched. I mean, He's unusual wherever he goes. He's the biggest player there anywhere. So all eyes are on Don Johnson. He talks in his video about distractions. You know, distractions work only up to a certain point in blackjack. I would engage in distractions. I would do what I would call the fake drunk act, where I would sit down, I'd pretend I'm drunk, I'd talk too much, I'd talk about every single card being dealt, I'd be purposely annoying at the table, actually sometimes piss people off playing with me, but whatever, and uh, it really would work to distract them from thinking I was a card counter. I didn't do this every time, but when I would do it, it would be actually pretty successful in fooling the casino into uh, not watching me as closely. Now this doesn't work perfectly, because the eye in the sky watches you too, and they don't even hear me. So they're just seeing me, and the, the drunk thing doesn't really work on them because it doesn't really—they don't really see it or hear it. They just are pretty much watching my cards. But it, it does work to some degree. I can create some distractions. I've had before where girlfriends sit with me and distract the pit boss in some way, not in the way you'd think—not not like, like by <laughs> unzipping their blouse or anything, but you know, by asking them questions or whatever. Uh... But you can't create distractions when you're Don Johnson playing 25k a hand. There are many eyes watching you, and there always will be. That's not to say there can't be mistakes by the dealers, but to say you're you're profiting by distraction, I don't believe it. Now, here were his explanations as to why he was winning. Because this guy, he had a big streak going where he won like 15, 17 million dollars in a short time. And there were all these articles about him. But all the money he won in blackjack. Uh, of course, everybody first said, okay, this guy, got to, he's got to be a card counter. He's got to be a, a high-limit card counter. Now, I i didn't know what to think when I read about him at first, because I'm thinking, okay, you can't be a super high-limit card counter because they'll, they'll stop it. If you're in Vegas, they will kick you out. And if you're in Atlantic City, where they're not allowed by law to kick you out, they'll just change the game where they don't, deal deep enough out of the shoe to where card counting is going to matter so either way they can stop you if you're a card counter from playing a positive expectation game if they notice you are one and if you're playing for nosebleed stakes like this Don Johnson guy is, of course they're watching for card counting, of course they are uber careful that this guy doesn't have an edge on them or it'll be so costly, it'll take forever for them to recoup but Don Johnson insisted he wasn't card counting, and I actually believe him because clearly, if, if he was, they'd catch it very quickly. They'll catch that he's spreading his bets when the low cards come out. That He, he raises the bets up, and then they'll say, okay, well, <laughs> he's a card counter. We're, we're not letting him do that to us. Now, he can't just say he was playing perfect basic strategy, because that's still a losing game. Even if you play the perfect, what they call basic strategy, that is making all the right decisions based upon uh, uh, what cards you have and what card the dealer's showing. Like, for example... Um, the perfect basic strategy, when you have uh, twelve hard twelve, like an eight and a four, and the dealer showing a three, the perfect basic strategy is to hit that once, and then to stand after that, no matter what, provided you don't bust. Uh, if the dealer showing a four, it's actually perfect basic strategy is. Really, a toss-up, whether you hit or stand. If they're showing a 5 or 6 and you have a 12, then you always stand. That's basic strategy. If you deviate from that, you're playing a suboptimal game. But even optimal basic strategy still leaves you with a substantial edge to the casino. To where you will lose, and you will lose in not that long of a time playing perfect basic strategy. So the only way a perfect basic strategy player will win is if he simply gets lucky. Very lucky. And nobody's going to admire you for beating the casino just because you got lucky, just like nobody admires a lottery winner. You might be jealous of a lottery winner or envy a lottery winner, but you don't look at the lottery winner and say, wow, that guy's really skillful. Wow, I wish I was as smart as that guy. No, you just say, okay, this guy got super lucky. So you can't just say I was a basic strategy player who got lucky. No one's going to care about that. He can't say that he cheated, because if he says that, then uh, not only does he look dishonest... But uh, he could also get arrested and have his money confiscated. So you don't want to say you were ever cheated in a casino. And I don't think he cheated. So he had to come up with an explanation for how he won all this money that would make sense to the average person who was interested in his story. And and yet it would fail if it was scrutinized by experts. And here are the problems with his explanations. Uh, I'm not going to play the 46-minute video, obviously. But uh, a guy on 2 Plus 2 actually did some cliffs and uh, this is basically what he said. He said he negotiated some edges on his behalf that gave him more advantage in the game than a typical basic strategy player. He said first he learned perfect basic strategy and then he did the following. Number one, he negotiated that uh, he would get $50,000 of free play every time he played. That just starting off, they'd give him 50k to play. Number two, he would get a 20% discount on his losses. They'd give him 20% back, whatever he'd lose. But, very importantly, he didn't give the details as to when they would give him back the 20%. That's very important, which I'll get to shortly. Number three, uh, he wanted these rules. Uh, First of all, uh, he can play three hands at once and 25k max bet. The dealer stands on soft 17, which is better than the dealer hitting soft 17. That he could double on any two cards. And he could split up to four times. Now, if you don't know much about blackjack, you may think, oh, wow, that's great. Double any two cards, split up to four times. Dealer stands on soft 17. This has got to be a positive game. No. These are good rules. But you'll find these rules in any high-limit game. You don't have to bet 25k a hand to get these rules. You can go into Bellagio and play 25 dollar a hand shoe, and you'll get these rules: double on any two, stand on 17, split up to four times. These are very standard high-limit rules. So he didn't negotiate anything, and uh, yeah, so he got himself the the high limits of 25k a hand, three hands at a time. But but other than that, he had rules that are very standard for high-limit games on the strip. Now here was a big thing that he claimed helped him. That they changed what the hand signals were for hit, stand, and surrender. So normally the way you hit is you, you know, you have to do a hand signal showing it so the camera can see. You tap the table or you uh, kind of do a motion like pointing towards yourself, like I want a card. That's hit. Stand means like you, you shake your hand, you put your palm down and shake your hand that way with all five fingers, like back and forth. that means stand. And uh, surrender, I think it's like, move your finger across. I I forget. I just say surrender. I never do that motion. But whatever. Uh, He changed the hand signals to something that he selected. He said, if I'm going to play in your casino at these high limits, I want to change the hand signals to hand signals I like. So... In order to accommodate him, they, you know, they do things like this to accommodate whales. You can't come in as a $25 a hand player and make these demands, but if you're playing super high limits, they'll make allowances from you thinking they're going to win so much money from you they've got to kiss your ass. So they agreed to these uh, hand signal changes, supposedly. And the way he said this helped him was that if the dealer made a mistake because they had forgotten what those signals meant and did the other thing, then uh, he would be able to... Complain only if it was an unfavorable result. Like, let's say he had 16 and the dealer's showing a 10 and he did the signal for stand. And uh, the dealer thought he meant hit and gave him a 9 to bust him. Well, at that point he could say, no, no, no. Remember, this signal means stand. So I shouldn't bust. And then they have to take the card back. But let's say the same thing happens, that they mistake the signal, but then they give him a 5 for 21. Well, then he keeps his mouth shut, and then he has 21, and and so this way, when the dealer makes a mistake, he only says something about the mistake if it helps him, and he keeps his mouth closed if it doesn't help him. Kind of like the way you probably would if the dealer overpays you on a hand, but you would say something if uh, you get underpaid. So, he claims that helped him. So, These things combined, he said, actually made him a positive expectation player, and that's how he put the smack down on the house and won all this money. A few problems here. First of all, he never said what he lost. He talked about these $17 million in winning sessions, but he will not say how much he lost in his losing sessions. He said there were losing sessions, but he wouldn't say what they were. Why won't he say that? Why won't he say, okay, well, I won $17 million during this hot streak, but before that I had a losing streak of $7 million, and after that I had a losing streak of $3 million. Like, Like, why is he not telling you all of his sessions, and then when it's all said and done, I won such and such? Like, if he's going to be publicizing himself this much, why is he not giving you a net win amount? It's because he doesn't have a net win, in my opinion. Or if he does, it's very small. So, uh, Jay Staff saying in the chat uh, that he was a a shot taker who relied on two dealer mistakes an hour, and uh, he explained the uh, the thing with the hand signals uh, in that interview. But uh, you know, I still don't believe that. um, That was as effective as people think it is Otherwise he, he'd tell you what he won First of all you, know, you don't publicize yourself this much And then not want to give your overall win total You just give a uh, a total of your hot streak It's kind of like Let me put this in poker terms Let's say you go to the casino And you have a great week Where uh, at 2-5 at, uh, no limit You end up winning $10,000 In that week from a number of sessions together. And you go around crowing everywhere that in a week you won ten thousand dollars at two five no limit. That's what a great player you are. So of course people are gonna ask you, okay, but what do you do the other weeks? What about the week before? What about the week after? What's your total in two five no limit? Uh well, you know, I lost a few times, but you know, but I won ten thousand dollars this week. You're gonna say, look, it doesn't matter what you won this week, it matters what you won overall. He won't tell you. So, this is a guy who had a hot streak just because he got a lot of good cards during one particular period of time. A guy who had t- a ton of money coming into all this. And he has used this hot streak to market himself as this great blackjack player. And he makes up these dumb stories about uh, distracting the house and the... Uh, um, negotiating free play for himself. You know, things that are all true but are not enough to counteract the house edge, which is pretty large when you're just playing basic strategy and not counting cards. And I guarantee he wasn't counting cards, because if he was, they would have caught caught that very easily and put a stop to his play. Now let's talk about the fifty K in free chips that he would get. Isn't that great? You know, fifty thousand dollars in free play? I mean I'd love that. But you only get $50,000 of free play when that's a small fraction of what you're going to wager overall. So what is $50,000 free play to him is equivalent to $50 free play probably for you. Now, if you got $50 free play, do you think that uh, that would really make or break your session unless you just played the free play and left? No, of course not. If it's a small percentage of of what you're playing there, if you're playing hand after hand after hand after hand, you're playing tons of hands... Um, A small free play is not going to do any good And 50k sounds big But if he's betting 25k across three hands 50k is nothing That's not even That's not even what he's betting per hand He's betting 75k per hand So The 50k free play isn't all that much The only way it's a lot is if He plays short sessions Which he wasn't He never even said he was playing short sessions What about the 20% on losses? Now, obviously, blackjack is not a game where the house has a 20% edge per hand. So if you could give yourself an additional 20% edge on every hand you played, you would kill the house. You'd absolutely kill him. But that's not what he got. Have you ever seen a good poker player offer lesser players a rebate if they play heads up? Let's say something like, uh, play me heads up and play me a minimum of... uh, two hours and I'll give you uh, 40% of your losses back and you have to think wow 40% of the losses back you know even a crappy player should be able to win with that no they don't because if you're playing long enough to where it's highly likely you're going to lose and and not win then 40% of your losses are still losses and if in the average session you would lose more than that then it's still worth it for the guy who's giving the rebate uh, so, so go back to Blackjack The 20% discount on losses The rebate he's getting That is only good if he's getting it after a short time If he can play um, th- like The ideal situation Would be if Every hand he can get that back Every time he loses So every time he loses instead of losing 1000 he loses 800 That's great Then you'll kill the house But that's not what it is because what happens is um, The 20% only comes off on Your overall results which means the wins subtract from your losses. So, if you play enough hands in blackjack, the mathematics of being a losing game for you will take hold, and you will lose after a certain number of hands almost every time. For example, it's just about impossible to play a million hands of blackjack, not cheat or count cards, and win. Just about impossible. Now, you couldn't really play a million hands. I mean, I guess you could, but it'd be very, very hard to play that many hands. But I'm just giving that as an example. Do you know if I ran a casino, let's say I had an online blackjack casino that was totally honest, wasn't rigged at all, but at the same time, you couldn't count cards because it reshuffled every time and there's no way to cheat it. I would offer you to play a million hands of blackjack at my casino and get a 99% refund in any losses you get after a million hands. And I'd still win. You know why I'd still win? Because you would be... You'd have almost no chance of winning at all in a million hands. So even if I gave you back 99% of losses, you would still lose. If you almost can't win, then a 99% rebate on losses still isn't good. So going back to John Johnson, if they make him play long sessions, his chance of winning is so low that uh, giving him 20% of losses back is not a big deal. If he's expected to lose enough to where uh, 20% doesn't make him a positive player, which I'm sure was the situation, then while that's better than nothing, that's not making him a positive expectation player. If those hours he's playing are, are likely to produce losses enough enough percentage of the time to where that, uh, that 20% uh, doesn't push him back to a, a positive expectation game. Now, I had somebody on 2 plus 2 right before I got banned question my analysis of this, telling me that uh, they knew that he was getting the 20% back often enough to where he was a favorite. By a lot But I don't believe it I don't believe that the pit bosses were that stupid and not just one, but multiple casinos They know what a 20% loss rebate is They're not so dumb to give that uh, After short periods of time Of course they're smart enough For a whale like this With this much money at stake To understand they're going to make this guy play a certain amount of time Before giving him the 20% A long time, probably And... Even if one guy's a complete bonehead and doesn't realize this, you're not going to have this happen in multiple casinos. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like a, a boneheaded, obvious mistake, there's no way everyone could be making. Um,. Now, the change of rules I I talked about before, that that wasn't helping him any. That was just bringing the rules to what a standard high-limit room would be. That's nothing exciting. And and finally, uh, the change in hand signals. I I believe there probably were some situations where by changing the hand signals, if they made a mistake, then he only says something if it's hurting him and therefore gets a do-over. So in that example I gave, if he if they gave him a card that busts him when he was really signaling stand, then he can say something. If he gets a good card, then he keeps quiet. But But still, this couldn't happen that often. If it's happening too often, then they can put a different dealer in. Again, they're watching this super closely. If a dealer keeps screwing up, if it is two times an hour like he says, there's no way they're going to let that keep occurring. They're going to put in better dealers who don't make these mistakes. They're going to put in their A-dealers who are going to be very careful and don't screw this up. So while, while I believe he gained a few times from this, I don't believe this was uh, happening enough to put him in the positive, even if you add together the free play and the 20% discount on losses. He's just giving you a bunch of little factors that he added to lessen his disadvantage, and is pretending it makes him an advantage player, but it doesn't. Especially across multiple casinos. When you have a player like that they are very, very, very careful To the point of just paranoia Of making sure that they're not doing anything for that player That is giving them an edge Because losing to a player like that Who's pulling a, the wool over your eyes Is devastating to a casino like that The only way anyone gets away with is like what Ivy did With the with the Baccarat variant he was playing Where uh, his Asian friend Had them turn the cards over a certain way Claiming it was superstition And it allowed them to see things That's a different story But these little things that Don Johnson was doing There's no way that accounted for the big edge The house has In basic strategy blackjack And the fact that he won't give us Any kind of real results Overall shows that uh, this is just a guy Who got onto a hot streak And I have a feeling he's actually an overall Loser in blackjack and if he's not he's barely a winner I think he just it's a good thing for him And a good, good thing for the casinos The casinos, it makes it look like a whale Can come in and negotiate a few things And uh, um, be a winner And it encourages other whales To come in and try the same thing And of course lose And uh, so the casinos love this story It's like a feel-good story That a, a guy beats the casino for a ton of money Everybody wants to root for a guy who beats the casino And, and for him, it makes it look like a genius It makes him look like a, a blackjack whiz So, let's move on to the next topic here. Um, Let's talk about something else that is high stakes. That is the, uh, the Aussie Millions. Um, Daniel Negreanu famously bought in 48 times back in 2007 to the 1k no limit with rebuys at the World Series I played that event I actually finished 10th in that event buying in once but Negreanu bought in 48 times and didn't cash Uh, Negreanu loves these just Insane rebuy, 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 rebuy in fact it was Negr- actions of Negranu and others to where they did away with those rebuy tournaments at the World Series for the most part and changed those into those uh, triple chance events where you just buy in once and they give you these lambers to enter two more times if you want uh, but at the Aussie Millions they had two high buy-in events, one for a hundred thousand Aussie dollars, the other one for two hundred fifty thousand Aussie dollars, and each Aussie dollar is worth like ninety cents, so it's close to US dollars. And can you believe they actually got multiple rebuys for certain people? So Negranu actually bought in five times to the hundred K event and twice to the two hundred fifty K event. So Actually, was it twice or three times? Uh, let's let's uh, see if I can find that. It was either twice or three times. Get it up in a second here. So the 250K event, um, yeah, Daniel Negranu, Philip Gruesome, I don't even know who that is, uh, Mike Timex McDonald, they all bought in twice. Uh, Isaac Haxton also uh, bought in twice. Uh, then so did uh, Igor Kurganov, or Ronald Lowe. I don't know who these guys are, but they also bought in twice for two hundred fifty thousand Australian dollars. But uh, Isaac Haxton bought in six times to the hundred thousand dollar event and didn't cash. <laughs> Daniel Negreanu bought in five times to the hundred thousand dollar event and cashed for five hundred fifty k. So can you imagine cashing to something for five hundred fifty k and only making fifty thousand? <laughs> That's why like the overall winnings in tournaments is so misleading because you don't see how much they bought in. So, like, he adds 550K to his resume and he he only bought in 50K. So, here we had, if if you just ignore the Aussie-US dollar difference, here we had Negranu buying in between these two events for a staggering... (laughs)
4: One million dollars. He
0: really did five hundred thousand in the hundred k event and five hundred thousand in the two fifty k event, which is really nine hundred thousand U S dollars. But then you have Isaac Haxton, who really did buy in for a million U S dollars. He had six buy ins to the hundred uh, k event. So uh, this is absolutely nuts. And uh, I'm going to play an interview with Negranu about this. It's just insane that you have people doing this. And wh- where's the money coming from? I mean, people are saying maybe it came from poker stars who sponsors him, but it's hard to believe they put up that type of money for this. It's just really, really weird because I, I, I don't think they have this kind of money to be throwing around on these tournaments like it's nothing. But uh, let's let me play this uh, YouTube. This this. Uh, Where is it? Here we are.
5: The thing that's important to understand when you're playing these events, right, is when you you buy in, you don't have no intention of rebuying. You play the event. If you bust, now you have to make a completely separate decision. Is it a good decision to buy in now? So, yes. And if that continues to be the case, then you keep buying in. The number of of rebuys is, like, irrelevant at that point. If things don't go well for you, how many times could you conceivably fire at this thing? Actually, in this one, I got 370,000. Now there's two hours left in rebuys. I'm not going to go broke. Like, that's already decided. But even if I did... I think I would have been done. Uh, 750. Is a I mean, not that it matters, but you know, I didn't have any more money here, so I probably quit. Well, this is a big one already. I mean, Igor's in three. A whole bunch of people are already in double. So um, I'm guessing just making a final table will do it, because the bubble paid really big last time. It was 100k, and they made it 350. So I'm imagining it'll be over 500 as long as you cash. How do you feel about? Uh, unlimited re-entries for an event this big. I talked to Gus yesterday and he said he'd like to see uh, unlimited re-entries in the one drop, the $1 million dollar at the World Series this year. I'm impartial. Um, I think if people want to rebuy, giving them the option is fine. The structure's fast. It's, this is catering to a specific type of player. People with way too much money and lots of gamble. And uh, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't allow them to do that if they want to. If there's a market for it, people agree to do it, fine. You know. And if some people don't want to play, that's also fine. Some of these guys... Uh, There's some people here who can only do one. Do you feel like they're at a disadvantage as opposed to people with seemingly bottomless bankroll? No, I think bankroll has nothing to do with it. And I know a lot of people will disagree because they don't understand it, but you play in one, you have to be 20 people, let's say, and now there's like 40 entries because people have rebought. You just get a better price on your money when you do cash. So the question is this, are you a favorite over the field Whether there was, if there was 40 individual players? If that's the case, then it's a profitable buy. If not, it has nothing to do with bankroll. You're just not. See, some of the fans are just very concerned but this is highly irresponsible to play in such a big... You'd have to have tens of millions of dollars to be able to comfortably, you know, compared to, say, mid-stakes MTT players? Well, I'm pretty sure that none of the people here follow the David Sklansky model of what's necessary for a bankroll. Like, if they have three million, they'll just play. Um, and a lot of people here will sell pieces, they'll do whatever it takes to get in. Um, but, you know, th- this is just, it's one of those things where irresponsible, responsible based on whose decision. That's interpretation, right? Uh, if these people are, like, no longer able to feed their family and kids, I'd say yes. I don't think there's anybody in this tournament that's, uh, that follows that sort of description so you're not too concerned about going broke playing these things well i have no kids yet so if i had kids i might know no. i you know i do fine i've i've won a lot of money in tournaments my whole life i know what i'm doing i put up all my own money that's another question people ask all the time but this is 100% me um
0: and uh it's it's just a business decision you know and i make money doing this all right so that's daniel negranu being interviewed by seriously serious does a lot of great interviews Notice all the interviews I play on the show, for the most part, are him. Seriously serious. He always knows the right questions to ask. He really does. Great hire by Bluff. So what Negranu said in that interview, especially towards the end, the important part, he was saying that it's all his own money. He was implying he's not even selling pieces. It's a business decision to do. Now, I, I guess he ended up winning. He ended up cashing in both of these more than he bought in. But you now you have to get lucky to some degree. Uh, put beer and poker on, he wants to comment. Uh, but, you know, uh, this couldn't be uh, a smart thing to be doing. Unless you were just have insane money. If you have insane money and you just like like doing it and buying over and over, the thing I agreed with ground is that it's not a disadvantage to the players who can only buy in once, because it does make the field bigger technically. And that's why I used to like the 1K with rebuys at the World Series, because I would buy in only once. And and um. You know, I, I'd say, look, if I can get a big stack going early, then I've got a, a big edge here now because now uh, I've got all these chips that everybody else had to pay, you know, two, three, four, five, six times for, and I can win more money with my original stake. So there's no advantage or disadvantage to buying or not rebuying. Uh, in fact, I've I've argued in the past that rebuying is actually disadvantageous, and you should really try to just stretch your buy-in as much as you can not to stretch your buy-in into a min-cash, but stretch your buy-in to run deep and then count on luck to win it for you. Uh, and, and that, But whatever. Uh, I agree that he's not putting others at a disadvantage, but at the same time, uh, where's his money coming from? Where, where's he getting a million bucks to put into these things in single tournaments? I mean, does does Negrano really have that much money to throw around that those type of buy-ins at these events? Uh, beer and Poker, uh, what do you think?
6: How's it going? Um... I just want to say that uh, first, the grind is a liar. He said he wasn't going to rebuy again, and he did on the day of, on the start of day two. And actually, I think he got like two hundred and fifty thousand chips for this, and they started at ten thousand, twenty thousand blinds. So you talk about you know a crapshoot at that point.
0: Yeah, I didn't understand the uh, the, the business decision crap because uh, how is this a business decision? I, I mean, does he really think he's a huge favorite over the field? Does he does he really think that uh, putting this much money towards something with such high variance is, is a good move for himself. I, I just, it's weird.
6: Yeah, like every entry actually counts as like a new person was to enter the tournament. So they, that's how they pay out the pool as far as deciding how many places to pay. And I guess the minimum was $500,000, so, uh, he I guess he got, I don't know, enough to come out a little bit ahead i think he won like 500,000 in the tournament after three entries but he can easily out you know three quarters of a million dollars i think daniel is one of the only people that probably have enough or one of the few that have enough to probably buy in for that much just because he's made a lot of money throughout the years with endorsements and poker but uh, i don't think there's a lot of guys that do so they have to be selling pieces or trading pieces with each other that's the only way i could see this surviving
0: yeah and you know uh Someone saying in the chat, China Maniac says, it's a business decision because he has a huge contract with poker stars and that's a free roll. And then uh, someone else said in the chat, Donk Crusher, I thought Nigranu got staked for some of his last rebuy in that tournament. So, uh, who, who knows? I, I don't know if this is a matter of poker stars putting a lot of this up and uh, doing this to promote Negronu Or It's possible. I
6: just don't think they're staking people in $250,000 high roll events. Um, there's only a small field. I'm, I'm- I guess it is being te- uh, on television this year, so yeah, maybe, it's possible, I guess.
0: Maybe they're looking at it like if they buy most of him and they just see it like he's a good player and a lot of times he'll cash and, and get a lot of the money back. It's not just throwing it away, that that maybe they're willing to risk it. Maybe something like that. I just It's hard for me to believe that Negreanu is just throwing a million dollars into a single tournament series like it's nothing. It's just hard to believe it. He doesn't seem that stupid.
6: So. Yeah, I don't know some of the other guys. I don't know. Um, but you, there's an interview actually on that on, on a Bluff page where, uh, with seriously serious, where Gus Hansen claims that the million dollar one drop should be a re rebu- entry
0: Yeah, they were talking about that. Yeah, that's funny. There's a lot of
6: businessmen. I, I could see why they'd want that money. Um, yeah, they I might be just willing to fire bullets left and right. I mean.
0: I'm not even against that. I mean, if they want to make re-entries, fine, but uh, I understand the World Series, why they stopped that, because they thought it was people buying bracelets, which in a way it was. Even though, I, I don't know if anyone won a bracelet that way, but I can see where if someone has the money to just repeatedly enter every time they bust, that uh, as far as winning the bracelet, it does put everyone else at a disadvantage. But, you know, as far as the money pool, as far as winning money, it doesn't put people at a disadvantage. But... In these events like the One Drop and in this Aussie Millions I don't care if people rebuy a ton of times I, I'm just wondering where they're getting the money it's just, it's just so strange because There really isn't All that much money in poker Especially just tournament poker A lot of people just see these high stakes players And assume they must have like 30 million dollars to their name They don't So you have to wonder Where a lot of these guys are getting that money So I, I don't know what to say I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, That's a lot of money. I, mean, yeah, I don't know where it's, it's coming $250, from.
6: $250,000 tournaments. I mean, a couple I mean, years ago, I mean, I guess it's the fourth year of this event. But um, before that, I mean, weren't. you ever heard of? You barely ever heard of a $100,000 tournament. I don't even know if there was one. I mean, they just started or they just had like one or two a year. Now it's like every, uh, you know, like 10, 20 of them a year going on. Yeah. Like 100000 or more. So it's crazy.
0: I don't know how rich I have to be. To where I'd feel comfortable doing something like that just spending a million dollars for a single tournament or rebuying five times in a 100k tournament or rebuying twice in a 250k tournament it, it's just I mean that's just so much money you just have to have some kind of insane money to where you could do that and not feel You like- need
6: a you need a lot but you wouldn't need as much as to play 10 I think you to play 10k's regularly just because if you're good enough to play in those tournaments if you really are good enough um, your f- field's a lot smaller, so you have a better chance of taking one down than a 1,000-player uh, tournaments all the time. Where just yeah. getting a min-cash is not going to make you a lot. Yeah, and It's going to be hard enough to min-cash as it is sometimes in some of those.
0: Someone asking in chat, what is his contract rumor to be? I don't know. I know that Chris Moneymaker was getting a million dollars a year at one point, which is kind of funny to think about him being broke now considering that. But uh, a lot of that million dollars was going towards... His tournament buy ins, not just a million dollar cash. So I have to think Negrano is getting bought in by poker stars in some way, but I, I. Unless they're actually taking large pieces of him here, I don't think they're putting up this type of rebuy money, but who knows. So.
6: I mean, he did say in the video he's put himself in on his own dime on the in these yeah. high rollers. So who,
0: who knows if that's true? Like maybe I don't know. That's
6: true. Okay. He could be selling at They could be paying at least some portion of it.
0: I wonder what Choice Center thinks of this because you know it, it seems like Daniel is, is a slave to Choice Center nowadays. That that cult like thing in Vegas is kind of like the poor man's Scientology. I wonder. I wonder what they think of him throwing around money like that. Maybe as long as he gets them new uh, suckers and gives them money himself, they don't care. So I don't know. Uh, Anyway, let me uh, let's let's move to the next topic here. But uh, Tom Dwan, who was also there at this event, but uh, Tom Dewan was asked by our own again seriously serious as to uh, what was the story with why he is not finishing off his challenge with uh, Jungle Man. Why is he stalling here? And he said something surprising. And props to Seriously Serious for bringing this up, of course, with uh, Durr. Let's hear what Durr had to say about this.
5: All, like a...
0: by, by the way, it's uh, it's hard to hear this because there was a lot of noise in the background here. Unlike the rest of Seriously Serious's interviews, this one has poor sound quality. So he's asking that, he's saying Jungle Man's being very vocal lately about the challenge, uh, you know, when are you going to play him again? What's going on? Play. Uh, not famous but like a uh, penalty for every two months that you got, you guys don't play. Uh, yeah,
5: um,
6: I haven't been comfortable playing on full tilt because I had a really big issue with it.
0: So, and I don't really want to get into too much detail about it now. I'll probably be saying something about it soon. What wow, a really big issue with full tilt? He doesn't feel comfortable playing there. <laughs> Whoa. This is the new Full Tilt, not the one that cheated everyone. This is basically PokerStars with different software. Uh, now, Seriously Serious, he has not told me what this is, but he was told by Tom Dwan off-camera what the issue was, and Seriously Serious said that the issue is seriously serious, that if it's true, that uh, he understands. So let's let's see the rest of this. Um, and Jungle knows that. He knows it happened you know, three or four months ago is when I found out how, how bad the issue was, so. I'll get into that one. So he's saying Jungle Man knows why Durr is not playing on there and won't play on there. That it, Whatever it was, it was, it sounds like it's a single incident. He's saying it happened three or four months ago. So something happened there that has made Durr very upset to where he won't play there anymore. And he's saying Jungle Man knows what it is. And uh, until that issue is resolved, then, then he's not going to play.
5: So uh, so I guess it's on hiatus for now until that gets some.
6: Yeah, it, it I, I I would like to play it now, but I just have other stuff going on that I, I don't know. I mean, I, we don't even have the hands from Full Tilt, which is ridiculous. They didn't even put up the page and stuff. But I have another more pressing issue. with them, So you
5: seem pretty upset about it. I won't
6: ask you to go into detail about what happened. Yeah, I'm just, I, I, I'm not on a lot of sleep, so I don't want to go into detail about something important to me on three hours sleep or whatever. We're playing all night, so some sort of calling out between the companies. <laughs> you could say
0: that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my second bullet. So he's saying that, yeah, you could say that as far as the falling out between him and full tilt. So he isn't saying he won't ever say it. He's just saying he won't say it now because he's supposedly too tired. Uh, to his credit, he does look very tired in the video. Some people are saying he looks like he's. Uh, <laughs> he he's looks un- bad. <laughs> yeah, so he looks like he's unhealthy and he's about to die. I'll agree, he looks worse than just being tired. But who knows? Uh, the, the truth is, a lot of times you go in a poker room and you look at some of these people who have been playing for days, and a lot of them really just look run down. So uh, I don't know if, full, if Tom Dwan is really having any kind of health problems or not, but he seems really, really up in arms about whatever happened at full tilt and said it's an issue for three or four months ago when, when he realized it was going on. And I don't know if he thinks this is some kind of collusion or, uh, or what, but there's something that he doesn't like that's going on over there. And, One uh, thing he, I know they wanted the hands.
6: He wanted all the hands that they played. Yeah. And they they weren't providing him that. But that's not the. I guess that's not the main issue that he's having.
0: Yeah. So I, I hope this comes out. I hope we hear what it is. It may not be something true, but you know, people say, okay, well, Full Tilt is run by Poker Stars now, but it's not shady anymore. No, 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 no. no. Uh, remember what Poker Stars just did regarding the EPT Barcelona? Very shady. Poker Stars is a very selfish company. PokerStars, it, uh, it's always in survival mode. It's always uh, thinking of its own survival and own prosperity over everything else. So while they're not there to actively cheat people, if something did happen there, uh, I'm sure PokerStars would do the most they could to cover it up, and I'm sure PokerStars would do the most they could to minimize whatever damages could be to them, even if it uh, hurt other people, because that, that's exactly what they did for the EPT Barcelona. I'm not going to guess... Who's right and who's wrong in this one? It's possible that is completely crazy. You're paranoid, so maybe Full Tilt is innocent here. But I wouldn't say at this point that uh, he doesn't have a point. He could very well have a very good point. So I guess we'll have to wait till the whole truth comes out on that one. So, like uh, I just kind of picked up a co-host during <laughs> the end of the show here. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to the next subject here. Borgata cheater Christian Lusardi, the guy who literally flushed his life down the toilet. Actually he flushed 2.7 million of counterfeit tournament chips of the Borgata down the toilet at, the, at Harrah's and got caught for uh, sneaking a lot of those chips into a tournament. He has now been charged with a different kind of bootlegging, not bootlegging chips, but bootlegging DVDs from China. This guy uh, this guy should just really learn to not copy anything.
3: <laughs>
0: I mean, this guy is just this guy is the, the, the this guy should have lived during the prohibition era. He could have been a bootlegger. Christian Lusardi, yes. the man accused of introducing counterfeit chips into the Borgata Winter Poker Open, according to Poker News has now been charged with copyright infringement, in addition to the cheating incident in New Jersey. According to WRAL, more than 37,500 pirated DVDs were found inside of Lusardi's home in Fayetteville, North Carolina, along with DVD burners and packaging equipment to make bootleg discs. Even more, it was re- revealed by authorities that he they've had a close watch on him since mid-2012 when shipments of counterfeit DVDs were sent to his area from China. Investigators allege that Lusardi made nearly $1 million from his bootleg DVD business by selling them online and at flea markets. Now, why is he having to, uh, to cheat in these tournaments if he already made
4: $1 million?
0: That's a very good question.
6: I was wondering myself when reading this. Um, why is he going to the you know, bagata and trying to you know, put himself at that kind of risk when he it seems like he's got away with this business for a while? And he might not even, draw, you know, drawn attention to them had this not happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. This this is, uh, I mean, you think he had something successful going, why take a big risk like that? Before this, I pictured him as just some putts from North Carolina who just came up with this dumb idea to cheat and, and uh, even was stupid enough to post in his full name on a public website on uh, Alibaba where he bought the chips about uh, whether they could make the, the fake chips for him. Uh, he did that back in October. Uh, I I thought he was just some chump who came up with what he thought was a brilliant idea and and did stupid things and got caught. But here he had a million dollar counterfeit DVD business, which it looked like he was going to get busted anyway, but here he had a million dollars coming in from it, so why why resort to high risk uh, poker cheating? But this guy, boy, this guy is just big on uh, brilliant <laughs> yeah just big on copying things and uh, getting in trouble so this this guy's going to be in prison for a long time it looks like and you know they they got all the evidence when they got to search his house for, you know related to the poker chip thing so this it's all crashing down on him uh, big cyber attack against the Las Vegas Sands website uh, now Las Vegas Sands Corporation is also known as the Venetian and the Palazzo and and other casinos out of the Vegas area like uh, they have casinos also in uh, Macau owned by Sheldon Adelson and a lot of people at first were applauding this saying great anything that anything bad that happens to Sheldon Adelson's got to be good because uh, he's a sworn enemy of online poker It's a really rich guy who says he will do anything he can and spend whatever money he has to to defeat online poker. But before you pat these hackers on the back, number one, they weren't doing it on behalf of online poker. And worse, the main victims in this attack, it was not Sheldon Adelson or other investors. It was the hapless employees of the Sands Corporation, including people like Cage Cashier's. Uh, Basically, they replaced the front page of the Las Vegas Sands website with somewhere that you could uh, look up any employee's name, email, and social security number. So uh, you could totally violate these people's privacy. And these are just employees of the Sands Corporation. They didn't do anything wrong. So, I mean, if you say that, you know, you don't like Sheldon Adelson, they shouldn't be working for him. They definitely don't deserve their identity to be stolen and their info to be publicized in this way so uh, this is a pretty nasty way of attacking and targeting the wrong people what was the reason for the target? well it says this Damn A, referring to Adelson don't let your tongue cut your throat and then it had uh, um, it it, uh, it was apparently an attack that was related to His support of Israel, it was signed anti-WMD team, referred to anti-weapon of mass destruction. They hate how Sheldon Adelson is very pro-Israel, and Israel, of course, is at war with a lot of other countries. It's someone who was very angry at him for his support of Israel, and hacked the Sands Corporation for that reason. So, unless you like the terrorist countries that Israel's been fighting with, Uh, you shouldn't applaud this attack, and unless you think hapless employees who had nothing to do with anything Sheldon Adelson does personally uh, should be punished for this, then this is not a good attack and this is not something you should be uh, uh, proud of. And it also said on the front page, encouraging the use of weapons of mass destruction under any condition is a crime. So uh, the people attacking are trying to say he's encouraging Israel to attack their enemies with, with WMDs and this should be a crime no matter what the situation and for that we hate him that's basically what they're saying so uh, uh regardless of how you feel about israel and all this this is this a politically motivated attack and the biggest victims were the employees so uh, uh no word as to specifically who was behind that this anti wmd team is not a known group uh moving on here and I, unfortunately, just got word I'm going to have to end the show pretty soon. So, uh, fortunately, we're at the almost at the end of the topics here. Uh, an odd tale of a slot machine at the MGM Grand. The slot machine is, a, it's called, let me get the exact uh, name of this machine here. It has to do with Lions. Do you, do you remember the name of that? I don't remember it. Yeah, damn it. I should have had this up. Here we are. So the MGM has a slot called, there it is, Lion's Share. At the time the picture was taken in this article, it has a current jackpot of $2,237,782. I'm sure it's higher now. The amazing thing about this Lion's Share machine located in the MGM Grand in Las Vegas is that it has not hit in 20 years. So... There's been a lot of following of this machine kind of quietly on the internet, because it's the longest-running jackpot to anyone's knowledge, a 20-year jackpot. It's not understood why this jackpot just isn't hitting. Is it just amazing bad luck? Or is there something wrong with the machine? Or is it really set to just almost never hit to have terrible odds? Uh, Nobody knows, but uh, now I'm sure the machine's being mobbed because there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about it. And uh, I, I just, I don't know of anyone that's any machine that's gone for 20 years like that, it's crazy. Well,
6: <laughs> it hasn't been hit for 20 years, yeah, it might be $2 million, but do you really want to play it? No, I mean, I, It might not I, ever get hit. That's,
0: you know? I, no, I wouldn't do it. I mean, that's, that's the point. I think there's either something wrong with it, or it's just uh, such a long-odds machine that, uh, you know, if, if it didn't happen in 20 years, it, it's not going to happen now. It, w- it was similar to – I've told this story before, but the one time I was on J-Date, which is a Jewish dating site many years ago, I, I talked to a girl, and I asked her – is on the phone. I said, how many guys have you met from this site? Just be honest. And she told me 14. I said, okay. And of these 14, how many did you like enough to have a second date with? And she said, zero. I said, what? (laughs) Zero out of 14? She said, yes. So I said, look, I'm not going to put myself down here, but if you like these guys enough to meet them, and zero out of 14 you liked enough for a second date, I don't think I'm going to be magical number 15. I, I just don't think I'm going to have that kind of luck. I don't think I'm going to stand out that way. I think your standards are just, like, way too high. I'm not saying, like, 0 out of 14 she wanted to marry. That's understandable, but 0 out of 14 a second date? Yeah. So so that's the way I see this machine here. I, I don't think that you or I are going to be the ones with the magic touch after 20 years, especially since this machine did have a quiet following of people who did play it regularly uh, hoping to be the ones to hit it. So I, I think that's a bad thing, not a good thing
6: seems like they might have wanted it to have really long odds but do they, I don't think they even wanted the odds to be this bad when they made it I mean.
0: no 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 but but who knows it could have been a mistake <laughs> yeah. i don't know what to say about this thing all right so finally uh mount gox boy they're they're really having a, a lot of trouble this was a a site you know they're the ones who were once the main site to buy and sell bitcoins for uh, real money you know to trade them for real money uh at one point, they were pretty much the site. Every other site that you could trade Bitcoins for real money was considered uh, a second-class citizen to Mt. Gox. Uh, Mt. Gox is no longer the dominant uh, the, the dominant property for this. First of all, there is... Uh, there's, most of the Bitcoin trading now is done by the Chinese. I think like 60% or more. Of Bitcoin transactions are Chinese transactions, and most of that's not on Gox. Most of that's on uh, China-only sites. Uh, Second, uh, Mt. Gox has had all kinds of problems, and they've become less and less popular. But they've had the most problems recently. They've just had terrible support. They've been very non-responsive. And finally, on uh, February 7th, on Friday, they issued this statement In our efforts to resolve the issue being encountered by various Bitcoin withdrawals, it was determined that the increase in flow of withdrawal requests has hindered our efforts on a technical level. Uh, To understand the issue thoroughly, the system needs to be in a static state. Very weird statement. In order for our team to resolve the withdrawal issue, it's Necessary to temporarily pause all withdrawal requests to obtain a clear technical view of the process. We apologize for the sudden short notice. All Bitcoin withdrawal requests will be on pause and the withdrawals in the systems will be returned to your Mt. Gox wallet and can be reinitiated once the issue is resolved. So this is so weird. It's, it's kind of like a restaurant with, uh, that's totally full with a line stretching out the door of hundreds of people to get seats. And the restaurant says, wow, that's a long line. Well, in order to figure out how long the line is, we're going to stop serving food to everybody in the restaurant. Like, why would you ever do that? It just makes the problem worse. So everyone was very on edge about this weird statement. Uh, They came out with a more clear statement, which I'm not going to read in its entirety, on Monday, yesterday. Uh, I'll read what they call the non-technical explanation. You can read the technical explanation if you want to go on Mt. Gox itself. Mtgox.com A bug in the Bitcoin software makes it possible for someone to use the Bitcoin network to alter transaction details to make it seem like a sending of Bitcoins to a Bitcoin wallet did not occur when in fact it did occur. Since the transaction appears as if did not proceed correctly, the Bitcoins may be resent. Mt. Gox is working with a Bitcoin core development team and others to mitigate this issue. So basically they're saying that scammers can uh, interfere with the transaction and uh, make it look like the transaction failed when they, so like they say, "Hey, send me some Bitcoin." You say, "Okay, um, you know I'll send you a, I'll send you one bitcoin." So that person sends you a Bitcoin. You interfere with a transaction. you actually receive the Bitcoin, but you make it look like you didn't. And you say, "Hey, it didn't go through, send it again. Okay, they send it again, and now you've gotten it twice when you should have gotten it once. So you meet out with an extra Bitcoin. That's where they're afraid is happening here. They explain this in more of a technical uh, manner below this, but I'm not going to bother reading it. Uh, so they say, conclusion: to put things in perspective, it's very important to remember that Bitcoin is a very new technology and will still is still very much in its early stages. Uh, what Mount Gox and Bitcoin community have experienced in the past year have been an incredible and exciting challenge, and there's still much to do to further improve. So they're basically. Preventing Bitcoin withdrawals to outside wallets—they're not preventing withdrawals for real money, but they don't want you sending your bitcoins elsewhere. So whatever bitcoins you have that are held on Mt. Gox are stuck on Mt. Gox until they fix this, which is very disturbing to some people. Especially since Bitcoin values are constantly jumping up and down—you you don't, you don't want you, know, you don't want to be a slave to whatever prices are on Mt. Gox. You want to be able to use your bitcoins or even move them to a different exchange to uh, get the money off. So, not surprisingly. Mount Gox has the lowest uh, Bitcoin value at the moment. Funny that they were actually trading much higher than before before, but now uh, they're lower. So for example, uh, bitcoins are five hundred thirty dollars on Mount Gox, while on Bitstamp, they are six fifty nine dollars, which is basically around the price everywhere else as well. Uh, Bitcoin itself, on the ones that are not Mount Gox, it actually did have a crash, thanks to this, that went down as low as uh, around 530 on most exchanges before uh, rocketing back up to around 700, and uh, but it has really stabilized in the mid-600s. So that's where it stands right now. I don't know. I, I think Mt. Gox isn't making this up, but I, I wonder if this is really why they're having their problems or if they actually found something that's really happening but are also using it as an excuse to uh, hold on to everyone's Bitcoins for the moment because they're having other problems so uh, personally what I'm going to be waiting for, and I, I kind of wish I saw that initial crash because I would have I would have bought in at that point when I started to go back up but I was sleeping, it happened at like 4am uh, pacific time or 3.30am pacific time uh, but I'm going to get an app to signal me when Bitcoin crashes and then I can buy in when there's the like a resurgence where there always seems to be right after a crash. What do you
6: think your price would be to buy in for right now?
0: Well, so that's what I'm looking. I'm looking for it to fall below 600 and then and then start to move back up. Is that, I've always found that's the best way to handle these Bitcoin crashes as far and not get take a bath as you, you, you wait to see where the bottom is and then wait to see where the recovery starts. And once the recovery seems to be going on, then buy in and, and then – Wait it out and then wait till it either stabilizes or, or starts to go back down again and sell had i done that i would have made a lot of money going back a while I just hadn't had the ability to buy because you have to you have to do all this crap to get you know buying in place to actually spend the money and get the bitcoins it's, it's hard to convert us dollars to bitcoin on a mass scale or even on not that big of a scale uh, because they they have to know you have the money to back it
6: now, if you get in, are you gonna uh, sit on the coins even if they start to crash? Or are you gonna to try to just use it as a short-term play and sell it when it gets to like a thousand or whatever?
0: No, I'm gonna I'm gonna do quick sells. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy what I think is uh, is low and on the way back up, and then sell when it either stabilizes or uh, or, or, or starts to go back down from wherever it, it rebounded to. I'm gonna keep doing that over and over and. Uh, that, that's my plan. And, uh, yes, it's a risk if the whole thing really crashes down and, and, and falls de- you know falls down to uh, much, much lower, like if it crashes back to 100 or something, but I'm not going to risk so much money to where it'll be devastating if, uh, if that happens. But that that's my plan with it. But I, I'm still waiting to be able to buy. I, I don't still have the instant buying power because I'm not established on these sites yet. So that's unfortunate. You can't just put yourself in place to do it. So... Um, uh, Bad guy twenty three. I see he's been trying to call in. If he wants, I can give him. A, he can call in quickly. I have to table the prank call. I was going to make till next week. I, I really have to go because uh, some something is uh, there's some kind of issue. Not some kind of, there's a, a certain issue going on here that I have to uh, go attend to. But I wanted to finish the show, so bad guy, you have a few minutes to call. Otherwise, uh, we're going to be done with this. He was calling like crazy the whole show, and I wasn't taking his call. Yeah. Now that now he's now that I say he can call, he won't call. It's possible that he fell asleep or took too many Vicodin or. Uh...
6: Did you read that story that Bubbles posted in the radio thread? Duh. No. Oh. So, well, it's a, says a woman, uh, it's a post on Card Player. It's a woman hit $29 million jackpot on a faulty machine and they offered her two steak dinners.
0: <laughs> Let me see this. I hate to read anything on Card Player. I'm boycotting that. And all Card Player. But, uh, yeah, she hits $20 million, $29 million black jackpot on a faulty slot machine. Oh, here's bad guy. Let's put him on. Software glitch causes error. This happened in uh, Michigan City, Indiana. The blue chip casino. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's claiming she's fighting for the money, and there's a software bug. I don't know what kind of bug that would cause that, but uh, it seems like they'd have to buy her out
6: for something more than a couple steak yeah, dinners.
0: That's pretty bad. Uh, is this bad guy? Yeah, it's me, man. Okay, what would I, you like to you say? You ruined my ass. You ruined
2: my ass Murder joke, dude. That's why I was calling before. I was going to say I was your yep, so I was going to disguise my voice. No, uh, I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry I blew the Asperger joke. But, uh, you know, you you can try it again next week. I will be back next week. Uh, I just want to let everybody know that... Uh, That's the
2: only reason I called. Wait a second. What are you doing? I mean, you have to go for real right now? Yeah, you I do. You I, I do. But,
0: no, what do you want to say?
2: No, nothing, Then I'll wait until next week, man. Okay. I was just going to jag around. It's no big deal. No, nothing, I'm... I have nothing to say.
0: Okay, nothing to say. Uh, but next... Yeah,
2: actually, I do got one thing to say. <laughs> actually, I do got one thing to say to everybody here. Uh, Rosa, man, I had to go to the hospital two days ago, so if you all can say a prayer for her, man, she brought you a little entertainment in one night.
3: Oh, uh, man, we need but Grandma
2: she, Grandma Rosa needs to get better. She's right, doing though. It's nothing major, but she did have to go to the hospital, man. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Tell her beer says get well soon. I will,
2: man. She brother. knows who you are, brother.
0: She, she knows beer. Yeah. So, so, yeah, Grandma Rosa, unfortunately, in the hospital and not in the residential neighborhood right now. And uh, what is she in the hospital with?
2: Well, her leg got real slowed up, so they they, they gave her antibiotics. I mean, I went up there yesterday, I man. It looks a ton better than it did. She went two days ago. So, I think they're keeping her it for... There's nothing big. I mean, I, I it starts with a C or some shit that they thought. You know what I'm talking about?
0: Well, Old people I... people get it all the time. No, I know. My... my grandmother on my mom's side actually that that's eventually what killed her. She died at age 85 from something that started right with,
2: yeah you can't you can't fuck around with it, with, but with, I with, mean with bad the, circulation the totally in, her down leg.
0: There. in her leg she had bad circulation and it eventually uh stopped the circulation of blood to her brain it, it was a slow process but it actually made her going from super sharp with like no senility at all to being kind of like really out of it because her her brain wasn't getting enough blood and eventually she died from it. So uh
2: Yeah, and the thing is that, she, that I came down here the one day, and her shit was swollen up. And she and Rosa's stubborn, man, so she didn't want to go to the hospital. Then I came down again, like, four days later, and the shit I was like, well, I mean, what are you people doing, dude? I said, like, I'll call a fucking ambulance here if you – I mean, because it's hard for Rosa to get up and down. I mean, but she can walk. She does everything on her own. But, yeah, you can't fuck with that, man. So she went up there, and, you know, she's in good hands. But hopefully she comes home tomorrow. Or if not, then maybe the next day. But, I mean, it's not life-threatening, but – you know, she'll get a kick out of it. You know, I better listen to this or something yeah, down yeah. the Yeah, and, and
0: you know, uh, yeah. I, I, I tell tell Grandma Rosa while she's there before she gets discharged to get some uh, good prescriptions for pain pills for for your sake. <laughs> 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 fucking nutcase. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Why uh, do I
2: need that? Like, don't you go steal Josie's stash, man?
0: No, you know what's you know what sucks. Yeah, right. like, I, I had a big, I had a lot of Vicodin in here. I've shot through almost all of them because of all the problems I've had recently.
2: Well, I oh, think she has a new boyfriend, so I don't think that's... I think that's why she must be missing an action right yeah, I, I now. Think so, I think it. so, too. Yeah, I mean, I
0: All right, Beer and Poker, you back? Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, this is on my end. Uh, for whatever reason, the, uh, the internet died through... Uh, I actually had a hardwired internet, and it just completely died. Huh. So uh, the radio's back, and we lost bad guy, unfortunately but uh th- I, good luck to grandma Rosa I think that's the sign i have to end the show yeah I'll, I'll put bad guy back on here so, bad guy, we we have you back here. The yeah, uh, I know
2: what the hell happened. Everything freaking just went out. Man. No, yeah, my internet went I thought, out. I thought me. fucking Peter had the mute button. He fucking muted me. Again.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not running the show. <laughs> no, he he can't. He has no power in this one. But no, I just had a uh, an internet cut out for whatever reason, and uh, uh, I, I see Grandma Rosa in the chat, so she couldn't be doing that bad. So uh, good luck to Grandma Rosa, and good luck, uh, thanks, Rosa. We're, we're gonna. Shut down the show. Want to announce, though, that next week I will be doing the show on Monday night. Not Tuesday night. Just six days from now. February 17th will be the next show. Won't be able to make it on Tuesday for a very simple reason. There won't be anybody to watch Benjamin on Tuesday night. I'm going to be with him alone on Tuesday night. And obviously can't do a show with a three-year-old in the room for hours. So that's why we're doing it on Monday night next week and uh, thank you Beer and Poker for being the end of the show co-host and uh, good luck to Grandma Rosa and I apologize I I had to cut the show short and that we also had a disconnect here which fortunately archives will just show up as the whole thing just put together. You'll hear like a jump where everyone starts talking and then we start talking again like nothing happened. That's the good thing about not listening live. Uh, Thank you to everybody who contributed to the free roll and Thank you to all the Hello, listeners no, we're not up to that yet Thank you everybody who listens live All the Archive people And I even got some nice uh, emails After I got banned on 2 plus 2 Encouraging me to not let that affect me And continue You know what it doesn't affect me I just think it's stupid But uh, it's not a big deal Just uh, get to spend more time with Poker Fraud Alert posting And uh, not spending any time On 2 plus 2 posting there So uh, That'll be it for tonight We'll see you in six days. Another show, another free roll, and I'm sure more to talk about. So, you know, we lost bad guy again. I, this this one wasn't my fault. Beer and poker you still here.
6: I think he hung up. Yeah. I you
0: know, oh, said Shalom and hung up. Okay. You know he just jumped the gun. It's kind of like a, kind of like premature ejaculation of Shalom. is what that was. Anyway. <laughs> 11 o'clock here on the West Coast as this show finishes uh, about after three hours, 40 minutes, which is a short show by today's standards.
6: Yeah, I Uh, want to say fuck Mason Mellon as well.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I echo the sentiment. Good night, everybody. We will see you next week. You never know what will happen on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and I promise Prank Call will happen next week instead. Shalom. Shalom.